right, Union of the Unwanted. We're back live. Ricky, what say you? Can you dig it? Unwanted. This is truly one of my favorite shows, and I, I don't just say that because I host it with my friends Sam Tripoli, Mike, and Charlie's with us. Right, Charlie, welcome, Charlie. And uh, so, yeah, th- we have a really special episode. Real quickly, go to the com. You can find links to all the spots. You can find our podcast because we're censored on some platforms, so you can find the ones that we are on. And uh, today we have, just like all the other shows, we bring a group of really interesting people, researchers, doctors, authors, all types of people. We explore ideas, challenge ideas, and have a fun and interesting and important discussion. And today we have our special guest, Dr. Robert Malone, who's with us. Some of you guys might know him because he's been doing a lot of interviews of late. But I know I've also asked many of the people on the show, because a lot of these people who are joining us, uh, dear friends of mine who've been on my show, Dr. Terry Madej, Dr. Ely, uh, Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, um, uh, so many awesome, awesome people, Dr. Frank Aida, people who are much more knowledgeable about some of these topics and have enlightened me. If I know I asked them, like, hey, if you guys have any topics or questions you want to start off with, then we'll, uh, you know, please come forward and, and, and share them because they'll probably be uh, much better than any question I can come up with. But uh, real quick for anybody who's listening who might not be familiar with yourself, Dr. Malone, can you give just a quick introduction uh, of who you are and, uh, you know, just some of your history real quick? I'm a Maryland licensed physician and scientist trained at Northwestern UC San Diego, UC Davis, uh, Harvard, um, Salk Institute. I'm a molecular virologist and vaccinologist times about 30 years. Been involved in, in a number of uh, vaccine technology developments. As a graduate student, the core technology that gave rise to these uh, mRNA vaccines came off of my bench. But I've also had a lot of experience with other gene therapy-based strategies and non-viral delivery. And for the past, since 9-11, I've kind of switched over from being an academic research discovery guy to focusing on uh, producing products, bringing them through often in close contact, close collaboration with the Department of Defense. A lot of what I do is pull together teams to solve complicated stuff, like, for instance, getting the Ebola vaccine moved forward. Uh, And I also uh, breed loose ton of horses. And long ago, I was a carpenter and a farmhand before I was a physician and a scientist. I think that's a good wrap. Yes, yes. Yeah, a lot of people who are now starting to know your name, they know you as the inventor of the mRNA technology vaccine. So uh, any of the doctors, I know I've talked to some of you guys via email prior to the show. Anybody want to start off first in regards to maybe a, a topic or question you might want to start off with? Anybody want to jump in? Well, I think natural immunity is a, is a really big issue in the fact that it's not being recognized uh, with regard to the uh, COVID vaccines and why uh, people with natural immunity, uh, you know, why should they get uh, a vaccine shot? Uh, so I, that's, that's where I uh, am on that issue. So you want to take that one up, Ricky? 
Yeah, you guys want to talk about that? You want to talk about because that, there is a lot of controversy and conversations about okay, what type of immunity is better, the vaccine or natural immunity? Some people are still confused about that. There's also some concerns about you know get, get, taking the vaccine and then what it can do to your immune system to possibly make it even worse if you get the virus later. Can can you uh, kind of get into a little bit of that, Doctor uh, Malone? Some of your opinions on that. So Joel, thanks for the question. Um, I don't know what your background is. Can you are you uh, just kind of a you know a, a common guy, or are you a doc, or or where are you coming well, from? PhD. I directed a medical research program as a professor at the University of Wisconsin, uh, but I would c- call myself a uh, a medical researcher, analyst, writer. Did you know my colleague John Wolf? No. Okay. Good. Then we established that. So natural immunity is actually a hot topic right now. And, and Joel, I don't know if you saw the CDC slide deck that was leaked to the Washington Post uh, last week. I think it was Friday. Did you get a chance to see that? I think so. So did you see the slide in there in which the CDC is saying that uh, the um, durability of uh, protection from natural infection is about 180 days? Well, there are a lot of, uh, I think, uh, people who would disagree with that. <laughs> I know. And there's other studies that disagree with that, too, um, from reasonable journals. But that's that's the position that the CDC is apparently taking now. And, and you know, whether it's, it's uh, just convenient that they're saying that uh, or, you know, coincidence or um, uh, data manipulation or whatever. I don't know what to say, but curiouser and curiouser that the... Uh, durability of the Pfizer vaccine would be exactly the durability of natural infection. Um, have, Joel, have you been following the work of Gert Vandenbosch? Yes, I've, I've read some of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean, Gert, Gert... CDC is, is just biased. Let, let's face the reality here. <laughs> yeah, there's. I think all of us can kind of get on board with that, except for those that are, that are on the inside and their salaries depend on uh, saluting um, the senior management. Uh, actually, that slide deck has a great example of that, Joel. Um, if you look at the slide where they talk about the need for mask use, and what that slide shows is them, you can see it right there, them manipulating data, because they calculate the uh, requirements and the impact to uh, stop transmissibility to knock are not below one in, in one of those uh, panels, one of those slide panels. And uh, what they do is they calculate it based on R naught of five, which is uh, for the rest of us that aren't wonky uh, talking about biomedical cool stuff. What that means is an R naught is in the absence of any other intervention, how many people would get infected if you were infected? How many people would you infect on average? And the R naught for the uh, predecessor virus, the original virus, the original strain, is about two and a half is what the CDC is now saying. And that was another one of the bombshells they dropped in this latest slide deck is that the infectivity of this virus is about the same as the chickenpox virus, which puts it at an R naught of about eight. Um, and when they, when they ran their calculations, for some reason they only did it at R naught of five and they discounted the effects of natural immunity. So that gets back to Joel's point. Um, but uh, if you look at what their projections were, 
basically at an R naught of seven to eight, no matter what we do, even if we had a hundred percent uptake of these leaky vaccines and everybody uh, did their, you know, absolute best and, and was at the top of their game with their mask use, we still could not stop the spread of the virus. The best we would only slow it down. And that's now the CDC position. So that's why we've got, you know, Aaron Burnett and others kind of having meltdowns on television because they thought that they were told that these vaccines, you know, there's clips of Tony Fauci saying the vaccines are 100% protective and 100% effective. And, and clearly uh, that, that hasn't survived the test of time. Now, the, the nuance of what Joel's pointing out gets really complex when you think about the world of this excellent Dutch virologist that I actually used to, we both used to work for Solvay uh, in the Netherlands, Solvay vaccines. Um, Gert, Gert is really at the top of his game and he is on fire right now, but it, it, it may take a PhD to follow what he says. He has, he's not super good at making things understandable, but the punchline here is that by vaccinating with a single antigen, worldwide trying to drive towards universal vaccination what we're doing is training everybody's immune system so it's like we're all being tuned to to middle c <laughs> we're training all of our immune systems to respond to just that one thing and the virus meanwhile it doesn't care it just produces mutants it produces tons of of offspring and if you put any kind of a selective pressure on it, it will learn how to escape that selective pressure. You know, is it today? Is it three months from now? Is it two years from now? It will happen. And since everybody's being trained on basically the same endpoint, once that virus blows through that, it's going to rip through all of us. And that gets to, to Joel's point, I think. I imagine that's kind of what he's driving at, is with natural infection, you're actually encountering the full breadth of the antigens in the virus. Right. Whereas with these vaccines, you're being tuned to one specific antigen spike, and it actually spike has some very specific areas that are responsible for the activity to the extent that it exists of these vaccines and controlling the virus. And so that makes it so that relatively modest mutations in those domains, this is, this is the talk we use for regions of that protein, um, Mutations in those uh, that the virus will normally generate but will be selected for in the population are, are not that hard to come by. So uh, what, what Gert is pointing out is that just based on you know, fundamentals of viral evolution and viral biology and epidemiology, and I'm sorry, this is scary stuff. Uh, to, to, I don't mean to spook everybody that's listening, but uh, Joel's nodding. Action. So, okay, well, this is spooky stuff for sure, Sam. Um, is that uh, Gert's predictions are, and I'm, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that by vaccinating everybody, we're setting ourselves up for um, kind of a ratcheting effect where we get more and more and more potent virus that's more and more and more able to escape mutations. And it will at some point converge because all over the world, they're all using the same uh, basic um, antigens. It's going to converge on a, in a virus strain or, or a cluster of strains. They're going to be really potent, probably a lot more pathogenic. 
and uh, able to escape vaccines. And now then we're going to re- have a real problem because once you do that, as I was saying on the worm on Saturday, you basically are in an arms race with the virus. It's already happening. <clears throat> There's a great little clip. If you any of you look at what's her face, this Canadian woman that does these little YouTube clips, um, she's smart as a whip. And she just did one on here comes the uh, the variants, I think is what it's called. And <clears throat> she just nails it. You know, she's clearly been reading what Gert has to say. So, Joel, um, I've touched, I've kind of scratched the surface of the issues. Um, that Gert's point is that we kind of really don't have any choice. Well, we do. We can choose to go about our merry way the way we are. Or, or we can be subject to the choice that uh, the world leaders are making, because it's kind of like we don't have any choice anymore, frankly. Um, and uh, they will drive us to a situation where we have a fairly catastrophic endpoint, or we can halt the universal vaccination, only vaccinate those that are at very high risk, uh, put money into drugs, and even start treating people that have infections with disease with the existing repurposed drugs we have, right. uh, which are imperfect, but better than nothing. And uh, um, just kind of deal with it. If the virus will gradually drift in the absence of any particular uh, evolutionary pressure, but if you, if you subject it to the evolutionary pressure of universal vaccination, all with the same antigen, you're going to drive it exactly where you don't want it to go. That's just virology 1A. Joel, do you agree? What do you think about that? And I think there's an associated uh, issue today, and that is look at breakthrough infections. People who've been vaccinated getting reinfected, and no evidence that I've seen that people with natural immunity are somehow at equal risk as the ones who have been vaccinated. Uh, So I think that's an interesting aspect of what we're talking about also. I've done some calculations this past week, and and my numbers tell me that the number of breakthrough infections in the United States is very, very high. I took data from states, and I extrapolated it to the whole country, and I'm getting a huge number, way over 100,000. Joel, do you have the samples for that? Maybe for Ricky's. For Ricky's audience, maybe you need to say what a breakthrough infection is as opposed to right. anything else. It, it's, a, it's, not, it's people who've been vaccinated who get a new case of COVID, okay? That's what they're calling breakthrough infections. And it's happening a lot. And by the way, some with very serious uh, ill effects and some deaths also. But again, CDC, the government, is not telling the whole truth about the magnitude of these breakthrough infections because what's that message is that vaccines are really not working all that well and they want to continue pushing the population robin as you know to keep getting more people vaccinated and of course they don't want to face up to the truth that being vaccinated is not necessarily good for the individual or good for the nation yeah Uh, Joel, when you were looking at the state health departments, uh, I understand there's 35 states that are currently reporting on vaccine failure with their reimagining as vaccine breakthrough, whatever the heck that means. Um, My my question for you is, have you seen 
uh, the number of samples are they are they publishing the number of breakthrough cases out of how many samples they've tested for breakthrough because that's some data no. that the CDC is not publishing and it makes it impossible to model what percentage of people likely in the country and the world are at risk for vaccine failure rates. Uh, right. So they're not. So there's. We're just getting. We're just seeing the hard case count because I saw that there was over 150,000 reports of uh, of vaccine uh, failure uh, at, at the 35 states uh, that are reporting this right now. Well, I, I use data from two states that seem to have good data, but um, I, I just know based on my quick look at the numbers that the number of breakthrough infections is really very very large. Okay, nothing anywhere near what, what CDC is saying. Yeah. Ricky, can I jump in on that real quick and, and just for the, for your audience watching and everything? There's, there's, there's a couple of things about breakthrough that, that and I'm just going to keep using that term for the, for the sake of the show, but understand that I consider it to be vaccine failure yeah. um, at this point. Um, so on April 30th, the CDC stopped tracking cases. Yes. Now, fortunately, there are 35 states currently that are tracking cases where a person has received their full um, vaccination, whether it was two for the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna or one for the AstraZeneca, and then subsequently still contracted the SARS-CoV-2 infection based upon PCR. But there's some issues with this. The first is that the CDC has um, reduced the cycle threshold to 28 for the mm -hmm. PCR test, testing for breakthrough. Uh, when they're submitted, when samples are submitted to their labs. But I, but, and so every state that's tracking this is following the same guidance. And, and here's the relevance for that in, in a nutshell. When the cycle threshold goes beyond for PCR testing goes higher than 28, the likelihood of false positives increase exponentially, mm -hmm. especially the closer you get to 40. So what the CDC did on April 30th is essentially establish, and a little bit before April 30th actually, is establish two set of two different set of rules for the same kind of issue. If you are experiencing an infection, your CT value is going to be 40 and lower, which means a lot of those cases are likely going to be false positives. But if you have been vaccinated, according to the CDC's guidance, then you have a different set of standards. And now it makes it really impossible to compare you know, what's going on in terms of measuring the, the, the pos potential positive of the vaccination program. When To make it even worse, they're not telling you, the CDC is not telling us how many samples have been submitted. So like, let's say it, right now it's at about 6,000, a little over 6,000 in terms of hospitalizations and fatalities uh, due to vaccine failure. But what if that's out of 10,000 samples submitted? That means you have a 60% failure rate, which is it just in, in light of all the vaccine adverse events reporting data, it just says you got to shut this thing down, shut it down cold. And because it was already built upon the lie that treatments don't exist. And if we had if we had been morally upright in how we approach this and had said ivermectin looks like it's showing some efficacy, hydroxychloroquine is showing some efficacy and we're not going to politicize it, vitamin D that I've been talking about for over a year, I've been trying to get state health departments to issue guidance on nutrition for prevention. Uh, we have great data on this, but they won't even talk to me now. If we would have just issued guidance on this, what that would have immediately done is it is nipped this uh, experimental vaccine program in the bud because they wouldn't have been able to get it to market because we would have had treatments that we said worked.
And that's the big problem ethically that we're seeing. We, have, we, we don't have an issue of science or intellect in this country. Some of these people that are doing this are the most, are the most intelligent people on the planet. What we have is, an, is, a, is a decided breakdown in ethics and morals in doing what is right in this country. And until we address that issue, we're going to keep being spun around in the same soup. He said, she said, this study said this, this other study said this. We have to put a stop to it at the core and look at things on an ethical ba backdrop as far as I'm concerned. You know, I just want to say Peter McCullough, that I think many of you know who he is, great, great physician. Uh, he, he, he summed up what would have been the right moral and medical path to take in, as soon as the pandemic began. And that is, we should have only thought about vaccinating about 20 million Americans, the elderly, the very uh, people with serious comorbidities. Uh, he, you know, and looked like about 20 million would have made sense, all right? <laughs> but it wouldn't have made any money for the drug companies, okay? So Fauci and the people with power never considered, you know, focusing the vaccination on the people who were at great risk from COVID. And in terms of a benefit risk ratio, most Americans, most people in the world do not have a lot of risk from COVID. All the statistics show us that. So why would you vaccinate a large population who were not at great risk. The benefit from the vaccines does not exist, especially as you learn more and more about the short and long-term safety issues and concerns with these vaccines. So just, we need to understand, and now, well, we can't go sort of back. You expect there's a lawsuit right now to take away emergency youth authorization uh, for the vaccines. Well, that would mean stopping the vaccine program. The politicians are never going to consider doing this. But we know what was, Peter McCullough was right. We know what was medically smart to begin with, and we didn't do it, okay? And I wrote a book, Pandemic Blunder, which is all about the advocacy for early home outpatient treatment. We had data starting in March of 2020. That's why I wrote the book, because I was following the data from France and, and Dr. Zelenko, who wrote the forward for my book, and the data was clear that we had these cocktails originally with hydroxychloroquine and zinc, some other things, and then ivermectin and some other things, cocktails, not just one, one drug. So we, we know that we have effective treatments. There's, there's just a mountains of evidence that these cheap, generic, and safe, and by the way, fully approved generic medicines, unlike the vaccines, which are not fully approved by FDA. So, you know, we live in a kind of insane world right now uh, where there is no morality, there's no good ethics, and there's no good follow the science. That's gone. I, I you oh. know, the, the one thing I just want to say is that as someone who's, you know, not a doctor and been studying, you know, just history, um, alternative media, let's say, is that the question is like, maybe I, I'm not, sounds stupid saying this, but maybe it was intentionally done that they didn't do it the correct way. And that, you know, there are so many good doctors out there trying to do, uh, every doctor here is here because they care. But unfortunately, there's some bureaucrats who act like doctors 
who are just doing the, who are just henchmen and have sent us down a very dark road. And, you know, I have people in my own family that have been like just pushing me to get a vaccine and all this, even though I have like, I've done shows like this where I know that that's probably not the best idea because they're trusting people. That's the big, the Americans and just humans in general are very trusting people and they want to put their, they, they transmit themselves onto other people they've never met before and their good intentions. And for me, that just, that kind of is why we are in fact where we are right now because, you know, you know the road to hell is paved with, you know, good intentions. So I, I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Now, uh, Dr. Aida, I know you wanted to uh, jump in also. You're muted. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I was, um, you know, did you see the Israeli studies where, you know, where they show that natural immunity, there's like a 1% reinfection rate, whereas the vax people um, have a 40% reinfection yeah. rate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial right there. Right. And then we're seeing in, in countries where there's like 90 plus percent, you know, vaccination rate. And there's at, at, on a daily basis, there's like a 2000% increase in, in, in these um, in cases. Uh, breakthrough cases, as, as you want to call it, you know, Iceland, um, Gibraltar, they showed, you know, there was, these are all studies that have been coming out. You can look it up and all the information is there. And it's, it's amazing that we are disregarding this and that public officials are disregarding all this information, all the statistics, they're skewing it left and right. It's, it is, a, it's a complete travesty. I mean, I don't even know what to do anymore. I mean, I've, you know, in my practice, I've treated probably three dozen cases uh, successfully using, you know, no drugs, just using all natural medicine. And people are, you know, three, four days later calling me up. Oh, can I go back to work now? And it's, it's pretty amazing. So I'm seeing it firsthand, um, you know, and I'm not even using a lot of the, the drugs. I'm not using ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. I'm just I'm using herbs. I'm using nutrients, um, you know, talked about vitamin D, zinc. Yes. Um, I've come, I've put together, uh, multiple products with lots of different herbs, antivirals, and the faster you get these, these things into people, the faster it turns around, you right. know, and it's the same thing holds true. You, you know, you, you have this, you know, convalescent plasma and you, 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 they're giving it like once the person's ready for a ventilator, you know, mm -hmm. these things, these therapies need to be done immediately to stop the viral replication. Don't wait until yeah. the person's half dead and say, oh, okay, we're going to do this for you now. It's not going to work, you know? So I've had patients wait too long to contact me. And I said, you know, you're at the point where we're going to play some damage control here. Um, but all the cases where people, you know, I've trained my patients pretty well to, uh, you know, start their protocol, start getting their levels up, starting getting their vitamin D levels really high ahead of time. And honestly, if you, if you have high vitamin D levels going into this, it's almost impossible to, to go through this, uh, through a major cytokine storm. That's what I've seen, you know, because you're, when you're, when you're vitamin D deficient, you're immunosuppressed, plain and simple. I agree. Yeah. So, I, I know uh, Dr. Malone has some comments, but also maybe we'll go to uh, Dr. Jessica Rose because I know Israel keeps, it gets brought up quite a bit unless your coffee didn't kick in yet. And she's actually in Israel. It's 2 a.m. there. So she might be able to give us some inside <laughs> information on what's actually going on in Israel and, and all that stuff. But uh, I know Dr. Malone has his, uh, his hand up. So we'll give uh, Jessica a couple more seconds of uh, drinking coffee. But uh, while Dr. Malone shares his... his <laughs> 
his thoughts. Yeah, I, I need a few more minutes to wake up. But can, can I ask something for Dr. Alito? Because he just talked. Sure, sure. Just one, one. I'm, I'm very curious as to what um, you're uh, like using uh, herbally, because I, I'm sure you're aware that uh, there's an active ingredient in black licorice that's an analog. For you. Okay, so you know all this. Yep, I know. So about what that. are you using? So I use high doses of quercetin, works yeah. similar to uh, similar to like hydroxychloroquine to get zinc into the cell. That yeah. works fantastic. I, I you know that you can find this in onions as well. Yeah, you got to eat a lot of onions. <laughs> a lot of onions. <laughs> got to eat yeah. a lot of onions. Yeah, Most people bio- wouldn't appreciate their partner. Yeah, it's a bioflavonoid. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 very. It, I use a. Um, I, I use a liposomal form of it, so it really gets gets into right. the body quicker. Um, I formulated a product with monolaurin, which is a fatty acid derived from coconut oil, coconut yep. milk. It's found in human breast milk, um, olive leaf extract, high dosages, antiviral, um, Scutellaria biocalensis, Chinese skullcap, fantastic mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory, stops mm-hmm. viral replication. Isatis is another herb. So yeah. I, I, I have a huge combination of products that I use and, uh, you know, I get, I use very, very high doses of vitamin D and vitamin A right at the onset, uh, hundred thousand to 150,000 wow. uh, IUs of vitamin A, uh, 50 to 75,000 IUs of vitamin D for four or five days, uh, in the beginning. So that's been very successful with all that. I use a liposomal form of vitamin C that I find mimics intravenous because when it's liposomal, you get almost a hundred percent absorption. So what I'll do is I'll have patients take a gram, which is a teaspoon dosage every couple waking hours for the first several days. After two days, they've gotten almost 30 grams of vitamin C into their body with no loose stools, no issues whatsoever because it's liposomal. So it gets into the bloodstream and it doesn't stay hanging out in the digestive tract like normal ascorbic acid, you know, it's, uh, it's good, but you only absorb probably 25% of it and uh, gives you diarrhea, gives you loose stool. So yeah. liposomal form, uh, if you don't have access to intravenous, it works very, very well. So uh, awesome, yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah, I, so. can, I, can, I can support everything you're saying, doc. We're seeing the same thing clinically yeah. as well. You know, you get people loaded on vitamin D and vitamin A as a starting point, yep. and then you can back them off after about four days into like a 10,000 just to keep them at steady state. You yep. get the vitamin C. I, we use both. We use the water-soluble, and we also are going to use liposomal on C just so we can can double that up a little bit. Yep. Quercetin is huge, but I'm going to tell you in the literature, which been which has been really exciting, especially for post-inoculation injuries. Um, and for people who are in active infections. The Salk Institute, Dr. Malone, actually published a study that was fantastic uh, a couple months ago showing L-arginine um, uh, and NAC. So you can go to liposomal yeah, glutathione. As well. yeah. you, know, you can go liposomal glutathione too if you want to bypass yep. that. Yeah. And also, believe it or not, lecithin powder, phosphatidylcholine. Okay. All three of them help to reduce the endothelial damage from the spike protein. Makes sense. L-Argin, and 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 I I never I would never even thought of the phosphatidylcholine with that. But I mean, when you start seeing this and they're showing it actually reversing within the cell, you know, you start going, okay, we have the solutions we for all of these problems. Why do we continue to let 
people who have never treated someone yeah. tell us what is going on clinically. It's just mind boggling. That's what drives me crazy. I also use a liposomal form of, cur of curcumin, which works fantastic. It's, it's patented name called Mariva. And I combine it with enzymes um, to help with the, the blood clotting factor, you know, so to thin out the blood, to break down the clots and to uh, as an anti-inflammatory, strong anti-inflammatory to mitigate any type of cytokine storm. So I'm getting great results with that. I mean, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to deal with any of this, but we're seeing it, you know. Um, and what's mostly, crazy, though, what's crazy is now. Dr. Frank saying this right now on radio, him saying this, how to treat this, what he's seeing clinically puts him at risk now for being not only deplatformed, but now the newest threat, they're going to take our licenses away for simply telling the truth. Now, you want to talk about ethics? This is a man who is now, just by saying what he said, risking his practice to share life-saving information yeah. with people in need, right? This is absurd. Yeah. It just, just explain, you know, giving clinical advice, you know, sh saying, sh saying what I've seen over the past year, year and a half, and just, exp you know, my experiences. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. This is, it's coming to this point. Like it's so communist. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, my uh, medical board is uh, wants a hearing with me in September. Nothing to do about you know not treating people you know well because all my patients are incredibly happy and healthy. It's about what I say on social media because it goes against the narrative, the paradigm of what the CDC and the World Health Organization are telling doctors to say, are telling us what to do. And I have the research on my side, and I said I have everything to support everything I've said. Uh, but, you know, there's a federal mandate now telling the medical boards that they can take our license just for speaking up. It's unbelievable. Dr. Malone, I know you've had your hand up for a while. Do you want to share your thoughts? Well, uh, I think that one of the key ones has just been covered pretty well. Uh, and, and I can chime in. This is for real. Uh, the slippery slope guys here, I don't know how much you're in touch with Europe, but... Some of the European nations, doctors are being uh, determined to be mentally unfit and even being institutionalized for their mental unfitness, not only having their license take away. The other thing that's that's uh, I find intriguing is, I think it was over the weekend, Sweden hit zero, zero deaths. So Sweden is the, the case study in the alternative management strategy of uh, allowing uh, natural infection to proceed through the population. What, what they generally seem to acknowledge now is that they probably made a mistake in not uh, allowing or enabling vaccination for the very high-risk persons. But other than that, because they had, they had excess deaths in their elderly and in some of the high-risk populations, but they haven't had mass mandates. They haven't had all of this lockdown, social distancing, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like they're the case study to prove the point that natural infection is providing uh, benefits to the population and has allowed them to knock it down to where they no longer have any deaths. So that's just the two points I wanted to make. And, and uh, I, this is a great group. I, I don't need to say much. Uh, Brian, I know you... I, I, can say one, I can say one last thing, if you don't mind. Be careful about asserting that something's an antiviral. I'm sorry to sound like the science police, uh, but uh, I, I live in that world, and 
um, it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be, remember the, the disease is our hyperinflammatory response to the virus. And so things that like ivermectin, ivermectin doesn't have to act as an antiviral. There's multiple mechanisms of action for ivermectin that involve anti-inflammatory activities. And it could very well be acting through those pathways. So that's that's my other just gentle word of caution is to be, be especially in this world in which we have the thought police looking down our, our backs. I just caution you to be a little parsimonious about using the term antiviral. Over. Thanks, Ricky. I know you were about to throw it to me, right? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Okay. All right. Dr. Malone, it's a pleasure. This is Brian Festa. I'm a civil rights attorney. I'm the co-founder of We the Patriots USA. And uh, I've wanted to speak to you for a while, um, as have many. So I'm honored to be here tonight with you. Um, I I do have a couple of questions, but I'm just going to throw one out uh, right now because I don't want to steal too much time away from other people that may want to speak to you. But with regard to lipid nanoparticles, um, is it possible for the nanoparticles to travel to other tissues and begin localized spike protein production? And if so, is there any way to turn this process off? Mm-hmm. So the answer is, uh, the answer to the first part is yes. Obviously, uh, we know this is the case. That's And please, I, I always like to say, maybe I'm being defensive, uh, but remember that we have three gene therapy products. Um, one is J&J, so that's the recombinant adenovirus vector product. All of them uh, can distribute systemically and cause uh, distal cells and tissues from the site of injection to start producing the spike protein. The, the place that people get into trouble is they, uh, for instance, look at the Pfizer uh, FOIA data package that came out of Japan, and they say, and they cross up and they say, well, because we see this lipid signal in the ovary, that means that we're having spike expression in the ovary. That's not the case. The, the data don't support that, but uh, it, they don't rule them out either. So, so uh, for sure on, on the nanoparticles, yes, you can get uh, direct nanoparticle-mediated damage. Uh, you can get lodging of nanoparticles, even whether or not they are transfection-active. And you potentially can have delivery of polynucleotides via the adenovirus vector or via the uh, mRNA packaged product to distal sites and tissues. All of, all of those are true. The question often is whether they're clinically significant and how much protein and where and for how long. Unfortunately, um, you'll appreciate this as an attorney, our friends at the FDA uh, have enormous latitude in their uh, review uh, processes. And unfortunately, they operate off of checklists. And they have a vaccine checklist and they have a gene therapy checklist. And there was a lot of push by the pharmaceutical companies to only have the vaccine checklist applied. And that appears to have been successful on their part. So what that means is they didn't do things like, they weren't required to do things like reproductive toxicology, genotoxicity, um, distribution, uh, levels of expression, et cetera. 
In fact, at least in the Pfizer package, they didn't even use the final drug product. The FDA just gave them a, a pass. The, 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 the regulatory failures here just go on and on and on and on. And it's one of your colleagues uh, was, was uh, speaking about just starting to touch on, you know, the kind of, uh, is there a hidden hand here at a purpose? It, it's getting harder and harder to not go down that pathway of thinking about regulatory capture and commercial interests. And, and frankly, I think it's time we start using the, a term from uh, Harry Truman. We've got rampant war profiteering going on. Yeah. And I, I, if I was an attorney, I would be looking back for precedent back then. World War II, what happened with the War Profiteering Act, and uh, that's really what we've got going on here in so many different ways, in my opinion. I totally I agree with helpful. that statement. I totally agree with that statement. It's very interesting as you talk to some people about this vaccine and these ma these uh, mandatory vaccine passes and mandates and stuff like that. You know, I call it safe danger versus real danger, right? And these safe danger, you know, you have all these people creating content. They're talking about the military industrial complex, corrupt politicians, and it's so easy for them to talk about that. But the minute you try to talk about, is there an invisible hand in the medical community? And, and if you take a look at the Gulf of Tonkin, right, and what got us into Vietnam and the whole theory that it was really about the poppy fields, the golden triangle of Vietnam, that was a big reason we went in there. And the mil we talk about the military industrial complex. What about the medical industrial complex that is making billions and billions and billions of dollars off of this vaccines, like hitting huge numbers? Why wouldn't that be and how some people – can see corruption and conspiracy in the media, in government, in the war, but it can't possibly see that there could be an invisible hand involved in what's going on with this is really mind-blowing to me. Well, one hand is not invisible. And I always like to point out that Dr. Fauci at NIH gives out <laughs> every year over $3 billion in grants. And so the major medical community, okay, all the researchers, the academics, the universities, et cetera, et cetera, $3 billion a year or more buys you a lot of influence. And that's why the medical community, with exceptions like Peter McCullough, et cetera, the medical community has remained silent. They were not advocates for early proven safe home treatment, outpatient treatment. So always follow the money. And, and Fauci is so good at what he does. He is so powerful uh, and we, we shouldn't lose sight of how he manipulates and controls the medical establishment. I'd like to know how, how these, the media and the government are getting away with saying this is safe, not hundred percent effective. I mean, I heard you mention Dr. Malone before that there's different stages of adverse events and you expect that going into vaccine trials, you know, that there's going to be some damage. There's been some damage at the initial part of these trials. There's more damage now. I mean, we all probably know somebody that's been damaged by this or killed by the vaccine. And yet they're allowed to just go out there and say it's 100% safe and effective. I mean, how are they get, getting away with this? It's, it's not that they're allowed. It's that they, there's a huge infrastructure now. This is not conspiracy. You know, I talked last time about the Trusted News Initiative. 
now we have uh, a variety of funding mechanisms that are launching these, uh, for instance, attack uh, um, uh, fact-checking organizations that are run by people that don't even have an undergraduate degree. But they have no hesitancy slandering me or a bunch of other people. By the way, I just wanted to mention Peter McCullough. For those who aren't aware, I think Baylor is suing him for a million plus and forcing him to sever any any ties. And their primary complaint is that he's identified himself as some way affiliated with them. There's yeah. There's been some edict come down over the last two weeks. I've seen academics again and again and again severing ties uh, with third parties um, as consultants or whatever because they've been told to do so by their institution. There's there's some big pressure coming down, and then then there's all of these uh, media tools and and big tech tools that are being applied like never before. It's I um. And of course, you're aware of what's going down in Australia now. The troops have been called out to reinforce quarantine and uh, insist on the jabs. We're, we're, I, it's hard not to get grim here. I, uh, I'm, I'm really not very sanguine. I'm doing everything I can. I don't know if you saw the podcast. Uh, that I did on, you know, I, I get no end of grief for going conservative media, but nobody else wants to talk to me. But uh, so I was on on War Room on Saturday, uh, and uh, with Navarro, and and we laid down some heavy stuff. Uh, we've written an op-ed now, and we're trying to get into the uh, Wall Street Journal. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, the 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 tools of suppression of discussion and information that are being rolled out are profoundly powerful and they're backed by money and in this sense of uh of uh, grievance you know that the just the the language that there's the dirty dozen and these people are responsible for deaths and that the unvaccinated are the responsible for the deaths this this is not going anywhere good. And and then icing on the cake was this recent uh, thing about pulling physicians' licenses. And and, and, who's, and let me just who's gonna who's gonna determine what's misinformation? I mean the CDC stuff that's being pumped out and the NIH flip flops like a fish on deck. And uh, Tony and in you know now they've they've rolled out uh, you know Grandpa Francis Collins is, uh, you know, kind of doing his priestly thing now saying, go, thou shalt go get vaccinated. And, um, this, this, I just, um, I hope you guys are feeling better than I am. Cause I'm a little discouraged right now. I'm a little run down by all this. No, no, you have a, you have every <laughs> uh, reason to be concerned and, uh, to be afraid. Uh, you know, I, I just want to touch on what you just said about this coordinated effort and that this is not going anywhere. Good. It's not. Um, when we are being labeled as domestic terrorists, that is very, very concerning. Because let me just forewarn everybody here, even if you are not one who is labeled as a domestic terrorist, the Patriot Act, Patriot Act, remember? 
that was hailed as being this wonderful thing by conservatives and by the Bush administration that was going to protect us all from foreign terrorists, really, doesn't make a distinction between foreign and domestic. And if you give material support to terrorists or terrorist organizations, you are also charged with terrorism. So if you're giving support to someone who, say, was at the Capitol on January 6th, or one of these doctors that spoke out, that was arrested, um, and I'm not going to mention names here, you know who I'm talking about, people that are supporting, whether it's monetarily or giving other material support, can also be labeled as terrorists. And that's how they cast the wide net. So be very, very careful. I'm not saying don't support them, because you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, supposed to be innocent until proven guilty in this country. So nobody has been uh, just because you're charged with terrorism doesn't mean you're a terrorist. But if they're ultimately convicted of a terrorist and then the FBI goes back and finds that you gave material support to them, you can also be convicted of terrorism. So I just want to be I want people to understand what's at stake here. Doesn't mean we should back down. I'm not backing down. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not backing down for anything. OK, but I'm just letting everybody know that. Tim, I know you want you, you've been waiting, and then Lindsay can go, and then I'd like to go back to Dr. Jessica Rose. Cool, Dr. Malone, thanks for being here. Also, I want to thank the other docs for you know putting your license on the line and 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 actually helping your patients with vitamin A and vitamin D, quercetin, zinc, and the things that we know are very effective and are inexpensive, and you know can basically put the world back to work very quickly, stop the suicide, stop all the you know, the, the unnecessary deaths. I think the death tolls up to 20, mil, 20 million extra people have died of starvation in the world and third world countries because of COVID supply chain delays. So the, the solution's actually worse than, I don't even think I'd call it a problem. But um, what I want to talk about, because I, 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 I'm a health coach. My company's called chemicalfreebody.com. I'm boots on the ground. I'm talking to people all over the world. And people are calling me every day and they're very concerned about like, Tim, what do I do? They're not like concerned about their health. Like I had a guy call today and he's concerned about the Delta variant. And, and he's like, what do I do with friends and family? And they're, they're really into fear mode. So my little talk here today, I want to share some stuff with you guys and give hopefully even the uh, you guys the, that are on here to get excited. Okay. And not, we can't be in fear mode because that's exactly where the establishment wants us. Okay. We are still in the driver's seat because there's a lot more of us than there ever will be of them. That's from an old Charlie Daniels song, right? So I grew up redneck, Eastern Oregon, hunting and fishing. Um, you know, I'm probably read at a fifth grade level. So what you guys are doing is awesome because there's a lot of people that understand it. But when the average person starts hearing mRNA and shedding and all this stuff, and then they they see the news and they hear little little bits from people like us, and they get confused, and, and a confused mind does nothing, or they get into fear mode. And at the end of the day, they end up getting the vaccine or they're wearing the mask. Okay, but it, it, it also they're getting the mass and the vaccine. Why? Because they believe in public health, right? Whether you're getting a vaccine or you're not getting a vaccine, both these people still believe in public health. And I think that's where we need to meet together today or mask and anti-mask, right versus left. We have to come together and we have to unite as working people. That is the solution. So earlier, somebody was talking about why why are we where we're at today? Why are, why are they pushing all this stuff when we could be doing vitamin D and vitamin A? Well, the, the real problem, one of, one of the two big real problems is that big pharma, single molecule drugs, they're going out of business. I mean, I looked up Pfizer and in 2011 till 2020, Pfizer's down $24 billion. So big pharma is going out of business because when they patent a molecule, it takes them 
on average five billion bucks in about 13 years to get that through all the testing then they've got seven years left of patent life to make money and they're then they run out of patents and then they you know you can get hydroxychloroquine cheap because it's generic now right but what is growing vaccines 17 percent growth per year it's a very profitable business testing is less and now thanks to operation warp speed pretty much no testing and then boom they're going to have you know 19 years of um you know of, of patent life right and in 1986, because of that act, you can't sue, you can't sue a vaccine company, right? So this is where they're at. It's like if average people might not understand mRNA and shedding all this stuff, but we can understand that big pharma is going out of business and our government bailed them out. That's number one. Number two is that we have already been here before. We had urine and feces in the streets and we had dead cows in the water at the turn of the century. And it was the women's labor movement, a working class movement that got the plumber and the sanitation worker and fought for the eight hour workday and got children out of the workplace and cleaned up the working environments. And that's, if you look at infectious diseases from 1900 to the mid fifties, they were gone about 96, 97%. Measles is an example. The measles vaccine came in in 1963. So was it big pharma? No, it was the freaking working class movement. And what do we see now? We see urine and feces and now needles in the streets and a bunch of masks and stuff. So we have to move beyond this left, right narrative. And all of us on this call today need to come together in a movement, which we already have in place with truth, freedom, and health. I don't know if you're from everybody. Is anybody here familiar with Dr. Shiva Ayaduri and the movement for truth, freedom, and health? Probably most of you, hopefully. That is a working class movement. We have the, uh, the plans to take down the Death Star. We just need bodies. We need trained warriors. And that's what we're doing over here. We're training people, getting people educated on the real problems and the real solutions. And, and it's a bottoms up movement. We can't wait, wait on billionaires, left, right, politicians. It's never going to be the solution. They've never bailed us out. It's a working class movement. So I invite everybody going to truthfreedomandhealth.com and joining the movement. And, be, and for those of you on here, we should all be, you guys should all become leaders like and, and, and get involved because we can connect together and this thing can be over very quickly. That's why I don't, I don't want people to get all freaked out, but you know, the, the fear kind of will move you to do something, but to know that the, that the solution to all of our problems is a working class movement. And remember that in the 1970s, after 70 years of, of striking, over 200 million Americans striked for better pay, better work, and better infrastructure, we, we got what we wanted. That was the, you know, the slogan that Trump had, make America great again. It was great. Well, guess who made America great in the first place? It was a bunch of pissed off women. That's what it was. And they got the job done and guys joined in too. But from 1970, when the Republicans said the working class movement is communism and the, and the Democrats came in with the labor unions and put the cap on the working class movement, only 2 million people have striked from 1970 until today. We stopped fighting. We've become lazy. We've been entertained. Our health is suffering even before COVID. We have to get up off our asses. We have to participate locally and do things. And it has to be a movement. It has to be a movement. It can't be just sending money or voting Republican and Democrat anymore. That is a broken freaking system. So that's the stance that we have over here. We believe in us. We believe in uniting people. Even if, hey, you're wearing a mask. I, I say, hey, you're, you're an idiot. Now I'm like, you know what? You're into public health. I'm into public health. Did, did you know? And then I explain public health to them and how the women's labor movement made public health good because the infrastructure, it's infrastructure that directly related to public health. And right now, America has a, a D minus in infrastructure and we have terrible public health. So what these doctors are on here doing today is great. Vitamin A, vitamin D, help, helping people. This is, this is the hope. I mean, we don't have to worry about COVID. 
We have to worry about our government. Okay, that's it. So they need to be replaced. We got to get rid of these jackasses. And, and there's one solution to all this stuff. It's a movement. And um, I, I suggest everybody join. Maybe Sam can chip in on this. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'd like to throw something out there historically uh, to support what you're saying, Tim. The, one of the most successful strikes in American history was the Montgomery bus boycotts. And what we're at a precipice right now, especially with uh, Joe coming out and saying that uh, he feels like he has the power to impose a mandate upon all federal employees, we saw that the United States Postal Union disagreed with that. And I think what it's going to take is our, our unions of people coming together and striking again and saying, no, you don't get to tell, you don't own our body. That stopped on June 19th, 1865. Ownership stopped then. We're done with that. We will decide what's in our own best interest. And if you've produced a great product that is safe and truly effective, every, you're not going to have to worry about mandating it. Everybody's going to want it. But the problem is they haven't produced that product. They've produced something that's far more insidious, far more sinister. Uh, and and is lining their pockets. And all you have to do is turn to Forbes and see that Pfizer re reassessed their earning potential this year. Went from $25 billion to $33.4 billion. All right. Now, where did that extra $8 billion come from? The American taxpayer. All right. That's where that money came from. The American taxpayer who's paying that bill and no ROI on any of those investments. All right. Awesome. Thanks, brother. You know, one thing I always tell people when they ask me about the shots and stuff is like, I just say, hey, look, let's use common sense. Ask the doctor, what's the ingredients? Like, what's in it? Are you going to eat dinner or drink something out of a can if you don't know what the hell's in it? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people are doing that thing because we believe there's somebody behind it. But the reality is, is what's the ingredients? And if a doctor starts, you know, getting fishy on that or getting upset, you know, what do you, you don't trust us? Then you don't want to deal with that person. You want to deal with the doctor that's like going to look up the ingredients. Look up the ingredients yourself. What's in it? Like I'm not putting anything in my body until I know what the ingredients are. And period. With that said, Dr. Jessica Rose has done some amazing job analyzing the VARS database. And uh, do you would you want to jump in, Dr. Rose? Um. Yeah. Sure. Um. I wouldn't mind. But on 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 what you were just saying there, Tim. Um. I I actually think that's one of the biggest problems because. People don't seem to care what the ingredient list is. I mean, a lot of people do, probably all of us do, but I mean, that's, that's exactly it. And the other problem I would say is a lot of people don't know that they should ask because they have this, this inherent trust in, in these authorities. So yeah, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's really weird what's happened here to, to me uh, from a psychological point of view. It's, it's like uh, a huge majority of people have been hijacked. It's, it's weird. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what I should talk about. I actually, I just sent you, Ricky, a few uh, figures which were compiled by uh, Rafi Zioni, who is, um, He's an important guy working in a small hospital here in Israel, and he is one of our, I guess, Israeli freedom fighters. Um, he's, uh, he's generated these plots from the Israeli database, and also 
from his own uh, like in-house studies. So this is really, really great data. Uh, it's very reliable. He's a virologist. Uh, he's, he's long been a virologist. I've spoken to him at length and he's, uh, he's actually a wealth of knowledge. So yeah, you, you guys are all privy to this. Welcome to see them. Some of the plots are kind of mind blowing. And one of the most, um, there's kind of, there's two most interesting findings that have come out of the data. One is that the majority of people who are being hospitalized here now are the ones who have been vaccinated. And this is in the context of the so-called Delta strain. We can talk about that because I, I don't know what the hell is going on there. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that uh, the rates of, you know, infection or the case rate, I suppose, which, by the way, this is all based on PCR, but I'll, I'll tell you something about that in a sec. Uh, they're much, much, much higher in, in the well-to-do uh, communities in Israel. So we kind of have, uh, like, very... Um, a, we have communities of people who, who are well-to-do and we have communities of people who are not so well-to-do. I guess that's the same across the world. Uh, but considering Israel is so small, it's kind of interesting that it is that way. Um, so yeah, the, the, the poor people are doing better. Let's put it that way, <laughs> which is very interesting. One of the plots that I sent uh, Ricky, maybe you can put it up here. It shows that really clearly. Um, and I'll just add that the, the cutoff value for the PCR that Rafi is using has been, uh, like they're actually doing it properly and they're standardizing it and they've been able to get it down to 12. I don't know if you guys know how crazy that is, but I mean, the, the recommendations back where I used to live in Canada that were being sent out to the techs when all this started was to use a CT value, the cutoff value at 45, which is absolutely insane. You're gonna pick up absolutely everything if you use a CT that high. So the, the, the right, let, let's just say the standard cutoff value for any general PCR is something like 25. So to go as low as 12, it means that it probably means that there's a hell of a lot of DNA in the sample uh, from the beginning. So the other thing that I, that maybe you guys know more about than I do is the relationship between very high viral loads uh, being seen in association with these Delta variants. So this is another thing that I'm interested in knowing more about, but um, yeah, that's all I have to say from the Israel front. Uh, so you're all welcome to that. And uh, if you want to connect with Rafi, I can make that happen too. I, I like just being more of a medium to, to help people have access to stuff. But if I anyone mean, wants I want to mm -hmm. ask a question to all the doctors here. So I got sent a video by a good friend of mine and it was from the, uh, it was kind of like a show like this where a bunch of doctors were talking and it's this one doctor out of Canada who was working in the ER. He got, he got fired from there and then his practice got burnt down and he'd been doing studies. And one of the studies uh, he'd been studying patients who had gotten the vaccine and he was talking about how basically 
what happens is, and I, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm, I'm going to describe it clumsily, but basically something gets into your, your cells and your cells go from being smooth to being inflamed, which is causing blood clots. Have you guys heard anything about this? Yeah. And I think it's a very, I think I've sent to people who are kind of on the fence and, you know, I've been called uh, a fear monger, uh, agent of misinformation. And like, I'm just taking what doctors are telling me and showing it to my friends. And I would love to hear what all the doctors here think of that study that this gentleman, he's like, there's yeah. something of 14 trillion right. in, the, in the shot. So I'd love to hear what you guys I, I was going to, I was going to ask that too. I think it's Dr. Hoff, right? 62% of the people that he tested yeah. had those microscopic blood clots. Yeah, yeah, I can speak to that. That has to do with the graphene. I'm late to the party. I'm sorry. My son's a hockey player. And <laughs> even though it's 100 degrees here in Florida, I'm in a hockey rink like four nights a week. So I apologize. But so I don't know if you guys discussed graphene earlier, but the best way that I've been describing, I haven't seen, Sam, I haven't seen the study that you speak of specifically, but I've seen a lot of other kind of N of 1 and micro studies regarding the graphene. And the way I've been describing it to my patients is actually I tell them to go watch the movie Big Hero 6. And I don't know if any of you have seen that, but they talk about the little nanobots and then remember all the nanobots kind of get magnetized together and become a big evil nanobot and then take over, you know, the planet or whatever it is. And so that's basically what happens with the graphene in the vaccine. You're absolutely right where the graphene upregulates the immune system because it causes something similar to like a mast cell activation. And, you know, if you kind of look at the nefarious globalist plan, the intention is to get everybody implanted with the graphene so then they can use 5G or some other something that is magnetized that's able to control people better. And so that's at least what I've seen and heard. And I would love to see the study from the doctor in Canada. Can Dr. Can Dr. Madej please speak on this as well? Uh, she's got so much information on this. Well, I've, I can just say right off the bat, I've seen uh, blood from patients that have been vaccinated right before they got vaccinated and after, about one week after. The changes in their blood, depending on their immune status, was, was shocking. Uh, you know, there's lots of uh, images we can share working with um, the live blood tech, techs that are, you know, taking these images. And of course, you've probably seen those pictures that are the blood cells are very irregularly formed. Of course, they'll be stickier, the rouleau formation. And it seems like that's going on. We don't have very, you know, much, uh, many long-term studies on these patients, but two, four, six weeks out, they're still doing that. How long does this last? It can't be good for anybody. We're also seeing a lot of foreign matter, some synthetic matter that is inside of their blood, their serum. What that is, we don't know. We don't have the ability to test for that. Um, I've had the opportunity, a lab uh, showed me um, some contents of a, of a bottle, a vial, let's say. And without anything being added, just being warm to room temperature, uh, there's absolutely graphene in there. There's absolutely a lot of things that were synthetic, sort of self-assembling. So that's just all I can say from that. That's just my, my interpretation, that's my word. This is not any research we can go off of right now, but it's my warning call, it's, my, it's um, my alarm call because above and beyond, this is not just a bad flu vaccine we're dealing with, I think we all know that. 
to put that kind of material inside something that is being mass distributed around the world and to children, to children where their neural networks are still being formed, this is incredibly dangerous to put into a child. What in the world, I don't know any scientist, I don't know any doctor that ever took an oath or an ethics or a morals class that included this kind of frivolous and careless manipulation on society. And this should anger everybody to stand and just unite and do something because we're talking about the future of humanity and uh, we're being a little bit polite with this forum and perhaps maybe I'm being abrasive, but I think we have to be because once you see, I've talked about this a lot, as you know, but when I saw these things with my own eyes under the microscope, it just changed everything because it, it's real. Well, to yeah. even call it I a mean, vaccine, I think, is a misnomer. Yeah. I mean, it really sorry, is I a usually, medical device. I, I usually don't call it a vaccine. I got carried away, so yeah, I usually no, do I, correct myself. I got you. I got you. Well, <laughs> I was curious. Are these uh, the ones that you were just speaking of? Are those the mRNA vaccines or the traditional viral vector vaccines or both? Or are we just seeing yeah, it across the board? Or? Um, okay. The blood changes were from the uh, injections that have been approved for use in the U.S., um, I was only able to see one manufacturer, one vial from one vent uh, manufacturer. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So the enhanced immune response that now people are kind of discussing, what, is that something, Dr. Malone, that because obviously you're, you're very familiar with this technology. Is that something that people should be concerned about and related to the, getting the vaccine? I don't know what you mean by enhanced immune response. Um, but I just wanted to loop back the, the blood changes that were referred to in terms of the coagulopathy. Those are elevated D-dimers. That's what that data is. And, and yeah, I've, heard, I've, I've run into that before that it's about 60% of vaccine recipients have elevated D-dimer. Elevated D-dimer is a, is a sign of microcoagulation and it's very commonly elevated in the disease itself. So that's, that's, I think, what those data are that you're referring to. What Carrie may be seeing, and I would suspect that she, so it sounds like what she's seeing would be called flocculation. And uh, flocculation for sure is a, is a problem, particularly when there's a temperature excursions. And these, uh, the mRNA uh, formulations are prone to flocculation and precipitation. And that may be what she sees. I, I don't know. The, the graphene story, I'm sorry, Dr. Kendra, to, uh, I, I, um, there's two papers out there about, about graphene use as potential adjuvants. I, I get this question all the time about graphene. And all I can say is that the, I'm not aware of a clear disclosure about the, um, contents, the, the components that are in the final uh, preparation. And so when I'm asked, uh, is, it, is the graphene there? Is it a contaminant? I always have to say, I, I can't respond to that because they're not disclosing what the true formulation is, and what the constituents are. They're not even providing that in the IND package that I've seen. I, I just don't know what to say. If there is contaminants like that, that would be called an adulterant if it's not otherwise disclosed on the label. And that would be subject to an audit and should be audited. I, I think that the this is another regulatory failure 
there's so many people that feel that the graphene issue is substantial that uh, the agency, it feels to me like it owes us uh, the, the um, diligence to uh, at least provide an audit in the audit trail details about the composition and whether or not the, there are adulterants. And why would not even get an audit on our on the crooked election? I yeah. mean, we're going to get an audit on on a, you know a, a toxic component that people are lining up for. I mean, the yeah. whole. I mean, we don't have to wow. go through how the whole system is broken. Yeah, so I, I didn't finish. I didn't finish answering Ricky's component, but but uh, Dr. Early, who's been very eloquent, has got some comments to make. Oh, well, Dr. Malone, I I just wanted to. I've I've never been early. Only accused of being fabulously late all the time. I, I, Ely, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. But I'm one of the one of the my things, eyes are not that great, and the typing is small. Ditto, ditto. Now we've all seen the Pfizer contract that came out, right? We saw the Pfizer contract that came out last week. If you haven't yes, seen I that, read it though. If, if you haven't read it, there's a synopsis. I can, I'll, I'll find it and put it in the chat box for everybody. There's a synopsis that was really well done, but it confirmed that, that countries that enter into a contract for this biologic can not test the biologic independently to confirm what is in it. Now, that doesn't concern you a little bit? Right. Yeah, let me let, let me go pull it real quick. I'll, I'll put it in the chat. But that was that I, I blew my you. mind when I, I read that. I, yeah, I believe you. Pfizer Pfizer has uh, basically taken, in my opinion, the regulatory capture toolkit that they've developed here in the states uh, by working our legislature and and the FDA, and they've now turned it on the world. And they've they've bought the Israeli database. They made a deal with BB. And they're just gradually going through country by country. And it's, you know, play our game or forget about getting our vaccine and you have to abide by our terms. And, and they, you know, for if any of us have any misconceptions about Pfizer, they've been bad actors for a very long time. And I could tell personal stories. <laughs> they, they just ethics, ethics and, and big pharma. Uh, it's just, they don't live in the same house somehow. Yeah, but, well, I, uh, Ricky, I asked me, you asked you asked me a question about immune uh, response. Well, yeah, antibody de um, uh, dependent enhancement was basically what I was getting. Ah, to. that's what you were asking about. It's ADE. Yep. So this is the bear in the woods that I'm really concerned about. And and uh, Dr. Ely and and others, you may uh, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if if we are seeing so just the fact that we're seeing high titers that are roughly equivalent and uh, between the uh, levels and they're, you know, calling them titers is a misnomer, as uh, Jessica will remind us. Um, they're rather uh, PCR thresholds of detection as a surrogate for titer in nasal swabs. And uh, the multiple labs are reporting, including in Israel, that uh, we're seeing equivalent or perhaps slightly higher levels of viral replication, depending on the body fluid that you are sampling in the vaccinees than the unvaccinated. Now, that the problem with all of that stuff, and, and I'm sure Jessica's attuned to this, is and we knew this from early, you know, when it was still in China. The Chinese knew it. The nucleic acids stick around for a really long time. And so what you're sampling, if you're, if you're doing, if you're not doing classical virology, 
you're sampling kind of historic window of whatever's accumulated in the particular body fluid over some period of time. Good, she's nodding. That means I'm not being stupid. Um, uh, and uh, so, so you know, you've got to look at this data with kind of sideways out of your eyes and with a good amount of skepticism. But if we are seeing increased relative levels of signal, let's call it, in vaccinated replicating with Delta compared to unvaccinated, that would be pretty close to a smoking gun for uh, the vaccination enhancing the replication. And whether it's doing so through an antibody mediated mechanism or through some other mechanism, that that is the, the big uh, worry. And the counterpoint that's made is that the disease as, as indicated by the reports of hospitalization with severe COVID and death as the indicators, that the disease is relatively attenuated in the uh, vaccine recipients. That's the claim. Um, I, I, many of us here in the States at least, Jessica, um, look to Israel as having both a very compliant population in general, that's what I've been told, she nods, yes. And uh, so they don't question the government like some of us do. Um, and there's 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 themselves. a reason for that. And that's the reason they chose Israel. And I can, sorry for interrupting. Yeah, so, so uh, Israel is a, you know, almost like an island population in a sense because of the borders and the border control that they have. And it's a compliant population. And uh, they are are capturing good public health data. And I've heard it said that um, one of the things about it, the Israeli data is the government doesn't have any particular reason to skew it because it's not trying to manipulate public perception in the same way that the states are because they don't have the, the problem of the uh, vaccine hesitant. Uh, they, they generally have a compliant problem and so they can be more straightforward and they don't have the intrinsic incentives to parse or split or spin the data or whatever that the CDC seems to have. At least that's the story I've heard. But a lot of us, uh, you know, and I, I know that not true. Okay, so uh, my colleagues at the FDA have, have long held out that, that the belief has been that the Israeli data is our best indicator series right now compared to the kind of really crummy VAERS database stuff that we have in the States and in many European countries. So so that's we've been looking to you guys and um i i would you know if 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 i can just lobby for a moment jessica to your esteemed colleagues um before they get their practices burned down also um if what i would really really like to see are uh data from three groups unvaccinated uh vaccine recipients and the vaccine recipients split as two cohorts, last dose less than six months and last dose six months or greater. Because if we're having the vaccine poop out at six months, which is what everybody's saying, the protect protection is dropping at six months. If we are seeing ADE, it often uh, will emerge in the waning phase of the vaccine response. Yeah. And so what we might see is if we split those data from the vaccine recipients by time since last dose, 
we might tease out a subpopulation that would show a higher level of replication in those that had received vaccine um, at uh, greater than or equal to six months prior. Am I making sense? Yes, totally. I'll, I'll ask Rafi because I think he he can just make that plot in one, in like if I ask him. So he. The uh, only I would. I would practically jump on a plane and go give him a hug if, if I could. But uh, if if anybody could do that and get it oh, to me, I, I would I'm be so sure. grateful. Yeah, I'm sure he can do that because he's basically got those plots made, except for the distinction between. Uh, you know, less than six months or graders, but but we have that data. He he's generating data in his hospital as well. Bye. Well, that would uh, be that would be fantastic. I don't have to be on the paper. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Papers aside, um, let me just clarify uh, two things. The Israeli population has just bent over for the most part. And the reason, there, there's an actual reason why, and it's linked to why Israel, I think, was made the um, the uh, the first experimental uh, grounds in all this. Um, we, we have a lot of wars here. Uh, I've actually experienced three in my short time here. Uh, so like when, when the government tells you to go run to a shelter, and the sirens start going and you start hearing explosions, you, you don't question that. So there's this mentality here of like, don't question when the authority tells you to do something because they actually are looking out for you. So people are applying that same mentality in this situation and they shouldn't because this is not, you know, okay, maybe it's not a bomb coming down, but this is something that you're injecting into your body so it's a very, very different thing. Anyway, that's why uh, I think they chose us because of that compliance. And, and what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. We have probably one of the most lying governments. I'm not sure there is a non-lying government. But uh, when this whole thing started, we had a, a crime minister that we call him uh, who made a deal with Pfizer. And uh, yeah. this deal was highly redacted. And the deal was that Pfizer would get all of the Israeli data. So they're collecting adverse event data, but no one can see it. There's a gag order for 30 years. And the public was not like given any option to see or even have an adverse event reporting system. Actually, it was the opposite. They said no adverse event collection system will be deployed. Nothing. So the only reason that the, I think the Ministry of Health started this, because uh, they are collecting data now, was because a subgroup of us called the Israeli People's Committee uh, started doing it ourselves. So this guy this data to the public and it went kind of viral. And then people were like, oh shit, we thought Israel was doing great. Apparently they're not doing so great. So uh, that's the story about the, the adverse event collection system. But you'll, you'll notice if you can read a bit of Hebrew, if you go under their website, that you still, you can't get a lot of adverse event data. You can get how many people are hospitalized. You can get how many people are uh, 
I don't know if you if you look at something general, but you, there's there's absolutely no way to to easily find out how many kids are. Thank, thank you, thank you so much for clarifying that. I'm really really grateful. Thank you. Yeah, it's, no worries. Nothing like there's nothing like street knowledge. Exactly, exactly. And and I'm I'm I gotta tell you, it's a relief just to get this out there to you guys because. I can I can tell the people in the social media world all I want. Like, listen, guys, I'm shaking you. You know me. This is what's actually going on. I can't believe this story that's go circulating worldwide that Israel is doing so good. It's like, no, 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 no. Israel's not in a good place at all right now. So, like, so if you don't have, if Ricky can get you my email, um. I'm glad to just dictate it. I'm pretty much an open book. It's just my name, R.W., because I'm Robert Wallace, R.W. Malone, M.D. You have to put the M.D. there because somebody somebody got R.W. Malone first. Okay, so I think... R.W. Malone, M.D. at Gmail. Okay. I'll connect you directly to Rafi because you guys can speak the same language on many uh, subjects, so... And he'd love it. I mean, he, he's yes. he's one of the only people here who's really, really interested in 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 data science, like very like, you know, like this this is how we're going it. to win the war. So he, no, and he I, knows I think I think we're I think we're making people uncomfortable though. Thank you for allowing me to drag you down into wonky land. Um <laughs> no. <laughs> no worries. Okay. We live in wonky land, it. trust me. Thanks, Jessica. I have a question. <laughs> jump in, jump in. I have a couple questions um, for Dr. Malone. Uh, one, what do you think about there being an immunosuppressive region on the spike protein? I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Yep, Robert. I can. Okay. I can hear you. Um, there's, a, there's a section on the spike protein that's similar to the protein syncytin 2 that has an immunosuppressive property to it. Is it possible that the T cell modulation that we're seeing uh, in people, you know, these huge spikes in COVID cases right after V-Day in all these countries is actually being caused in the first wave by just that immunosuppressive region on spike kind of knocking out T cell response? Uh, is that a possibility in your mind? So I don't know if you saw the infamous Brett Weinstein, uh, three old men around the table talking for three hours podcast, but it seems like the correction world it. has. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so the, you may or may not recall the part where I dropped the bombshell that uh, I had notified the government that Spike was biologically active and they chose to disregard that. So that the specific papers I was citing to them, to the FDA, had to do with the known effect of spike activating the NF-kappa B signaling pathway. Okay, gotcha. so that, that's been documented quite a long time. And uh, that spike also activates COX-2. I completely concur that one of the big uh, 800 pound gorillas in the room with all of us is the uh, profound effects on the T regulatory compartment associated with the infection. I haven't seen that flow cytometry done post vaccination. It's one of these glaring gaps 
where, you know, we've been so indoctrinated that the vaccines are perfectly safe that a lot of the science that you would expect to have been done hasn't been done. And then on top of that, we've had this, uh, you know, immense regulatory failure where they didn't ask the pharmaceutical companies to do the job and they, they just kind of jammed it all through and called it warp speed. So I, I personally, um, you, you may or may not be aware that I've been, uh, repeatedly fact-checked and slandered, uh, by, uh, Reuters and, um, uh, a, a company self-funded by somebody's father called Intelligently AI, which seems to have a particular, uh, I don't know, various words come to mind, um, uh, nothing to do with male anatomy, <laughs> uh, concerning their need to put me down. Uh, but, but, you know, so Reuters asserted that, that the spike is not toxic and that I was a liar. We, that's, that's clearly not the case. I think we're all on the same page. And almost, you know, we learn more and more and more about the activity of this molecule. And I, just from fundamentals, I can't see how one can't conclude, given that the common variable between the adenoviral vectors and the mRNA vectored vaccines and the disease, the virus itself, is this particular Mm -hmm. protein. Um, And, uh, and we are the, the my clinical colleagues, you know, number of them here that are treating patients, particularly those that are focusing on long COVID, this chronic I, I prefer to call it chronic COVID. Um, they're they're seeing this overlap in symptomatology. So uh, the what I one of the things that some of you may not be aware of uh, in terms of data, I work with a group in a small uh, hospital in in uh, Wisconsin uh, Beloit Memorial Hospital. And by me, and when I say I, I'm really referring to a fairly large group of investigators that are funded by the U.S. Department of Defense, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, that I've just been kind of leading since the beginning of the outbreak. And uh, one of the things that we've done with uh, Kevin Tamara and the physicians at Beloit is to take our combination of famotidine plus celecoxib which seems to be working remarkably well. But when the ivermectin data started rolling out, I said, you know, guys, we really got to check and see whether if we add ivermectin on top of this, because we'd been really all the way through driving. We're, you know, I'm an old AIDS guy. Uh, so, uh, you know, I remember David Ho uh, um, and, and all of that and, and the need for multi-drug strategy. So, so I thought, well, why don't we try ivermectin on top of this? And we've been tracking the laboratory values for all these things. So we've got treatments now that, you it, you know, when you start administering drug, you see a clear response in clinical laboratory parameters. But when we added ivermectin on top of that, what we saw was a rebound in the lymphocyte population that was statistically significant, even with just 15 patients. So hitting, hitting a, you know, Hitting uh, a p-value with a 95% confidence interval after 15 patients comparing laboratory values with all their noise, that's not nothing. So I, I, I just the empiric observation is that it may be that a component of the ivermectin activity may have something to do with lymphocyte sparing or lymphocyte recovery. That's as far as I know about that. What I also am really dug in on, and you can look up our 
paper when we added dexamethasone. This was just a natural experiment when dex came out. Remember, everybody started giving everybody dex. Um, the mortality rate went from zero to 23%. Hmm. And the laboratory value, this laboratory tr value trending that we saw that was so lovely just went right out the door. And what, what I fear with the use of DEX and, you know, the skeptics would say that a lot of the intensivists are using DEX to get people out of the hospital and off into hospice because that's a nice way to keep their stats up. That's, I, I have personal experience that, of docs doing that. That is a strategy. Um, so the problem, I think, with, with hammering and with DEX is DEX just trashes the leukocyte population, the lymphocytes. And um, so then we're setting people up for long-term uh, immunosuppression and, and immunologic damage at the very time when they've got to start clearing out the debris. And, and the, you know, another thing that's been revealed, of course, is that this spike protein finds itself in an unusual macrophage population that's very long-lived, kind of hyperactivated, and persists for six months or more now. Uh, yeah. Even after the single, even after the RNA jabs, so there's I I I'm with you. There's some big mystery things. Spike absolutely has multiple overlapping biologic functions. Those biologic functions include manipulation of the basically the cellular um, immune system, if I can speak in that way, in terms of interferon production and things like that. And mm -hmm. it it absolutely activates the NF kappa B pathway. So uh, I I. I, you know, and, and you're right, you're putting together the fact that we see this profound alteration in the T compartment, particularly with the disease. And uh, I'm not, I haven't seen those data with the vaccine, but it's out. I, a group I has would, done it. Yeah. A group has done it. There is T cell depletion in the vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's absolutely not okay. Which makes the Delta variant response then also make sense because you've depleted your T cells. Now you only have your very. Except uh, the, then the question is how long lived is that? So this, this, right. uh, and yeah, I just, um, I, 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 I am worried about antibody dependent enhancement. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. seen the clear smoking gun, but I'm sure seeing a lot of breadcrumbs, if you forgive the Hansel and Gretel metaphor. Uh, and, and, you know, they all lead towards the witch's house. And, um, and I agree with you that, that Spike is a bad actor and it has multiple biologic activities. And, and some of those involve uh, modification of inflammatory responses. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty well all in with Gert Vandenbosch about what's happening right now with the mass vaccination campaign. Mm -hmm. no. yeah, thank you. I know Miriam and Monica are limited on time and ladies first, of course. Oh, sorry. Doctor. As am I. I, I would, I would love to, to, yeah. to sign I, off I, soon. I, yeah. I got to sign off. I got a, I got another meeting that I got to get to in about 25 minutes. And I do want to give some encouraging information about autophagy and this whole process. Cause we, we have some, we have some clinical evidence. It's very small sample size, but we have some clinical evidence that's promising. So after the ladies go, I, I'm, I'm happy to share that. I just wanted to ask something specific of Dr. Malone because of his FDA experience or his relationships with the government like that. Um, I noticed that I heard you say on Dell Big Tree that a, something like this, a vaccine like this, should have a two-year trial. And I saw that Moderna's trial was originally 
set to be 759 days. But I also read that they allowed the control group to get vaccinated. So now I'm thinking normally that I would expect that to blow up the trials for purposes of FDA approval. But because of the Alzheimer's drug that was approved recently, despite having blown up their long term trials, I'm worried that now the FDA is going to say, well, there's nothing to wait for because they blew up the trials and they're just going to approve it like they did the Alzheimer's. Do you think that that's going to happen or what is the FDA waiting for now? So one thing I, I don't know, I can't get inside of uh, Peter Marks's head. Uh, I did have a call with him, as I mentioned in the, in the um, Weinstein podcast. I don't know. It, there's a lot of speculation that they're just going to uh, bulldoze ahead and uh, grant authorization for Pfizer um, this early fall. I, I uh, note that they uh, did not, they, they insisted on expansion of pediatric cohort trials. That was a good sign. Um, I, I'm glad I don't have Peter's job right now because, God, he's got to be under some intense pressure. Uh, the uh, vaccinating the control group at this stage is probably required ethically because there's been evidence of uh, benefit. And so otherwise you would have this cohort of individuals moving about thinking that they had received vaccine when in fact they'd only received placebo and they were at significant risk of disease and death. So that's kind of standard stuff. The two-year follow-up is a safety follow-up, and that is uh, not as dependent on the uh, placebo group because they can they can reference historic data uh, to look at incident rates for uh, these rare, more rare events. And the reason why you want to carry them out for another two years, obviously, is the onset of the autoimmune disease problems, which tend to be delayed. So that that um, there's plenty to criticize in these clinical trials. For instance, I think they were specifically designed to not detect ADE. That's just a personal bias. I noticed that the FDA in the Pfizer letter said that the most softball, I mean, this, whoever wrote this thing must be a pro at, at slow pitch softball because uh, they wrote um, uh, ADE was not, we, we, we are not able to make a determination on the ADE risk because there is insufficient data to assess that. And um, they basically said it would be a good idea if you did a separate clinical trial looking at ADE. But usually, you know, my, in my experience, when, when you get one of the, those kind of things from the FDA, they said, do this, fool. Um, you know, they don't say, oh, well, you know, if you feel like it on a Sunday, maybe you might want to think about starting one of these. It's kind of the way it comes across. It's another kind of, hallmark of the regulatory capture in my opinion so uh but but your specific concerns they will they will if they're gonna i mean the judicial department just came out uh, like a week ago with the determination that the common rule which is basically the fundamentals of bioethics for clinical research doesn't apply to the fda uh, i what the rules don't matter anymore they're just doing whatever they want to do, you know, and, and uh, somebody referred to bending over the other day, uh, earlier in the conversation. I kind of feel like that. We're all just being told to bend over. Um, but uh, 
that's that's they're going to do what they're going to do, and they don't seem to care about what about wrapping it in any kind of a pretty package of justification or anything. They're just going to do it. Uh, so, are they going to do it um, this fall? Uh, in a way, they've taken away the incentive to do it because they basically said, we don't care. We don't care what the rules are. We're going to force you to take vaccine. We're going to mount all this massive you know, national campaign. We're going to label the unvaccinated as, as basically um, the new plague carriers, you know, uh, and, and responsible for all of our death and misery. And they're, they're going to do what they want to do. They're going to have their way with us. I, I'm sorry to be so grim. Mary? I don't think they need a justification. <laughs> Thank you. Miriam, did you want to jump in? Hi, everyone. I I wanted to, I have a couple of questions, but also wanted to share. I just literally just had surgery on Friday on a, a fibroid, and I was more nervous about the nasal swab than the actual surgery, and that this was at UCSF. No one could tell me the cycle threshold of their very sensitive test, not test. And I ended up stealing one, proud to say, if there's anywhere I can send it in. But there, there's, um, and I spoke to Dr. Carey about this, that there's uh, just within within the field of medicine, bureaucracy is, is having a, a handhold and the surgeon Basically, they, I told them I've had MRSA in my nasal passages. I just am recovering from Stephen Johnson. That means I cannot take any antibiotics. And they told me, you need to go see an ear, nose doctor specialist to say that you can have a rebloom if you stick this up your, your nose. I provided them with three letters. Mind you, they were not with ENTs, but basically they didn't give a shit. They didn't give a shit that they were putting me under request for a test that they cannot tell me the cycle threshold. So I just wanted to share that. Also, they asked me, you know, if I lost a lot of blood, I basically told them I don't want vaccine, vaccine blood. So they said, oh, you want to die? I said, yeah, let me die because I didn't want to have that inside of me. But it's really sad because in other parts of the world, if you don't get a jab, you can't get care. And this bureaucracy is is uh, very prevalent. And then they I have just that want... here now. I'm sorry. They have that here now imposed. If you're yeah. not injected, then you can be denied medical care here now. Yeah, same thing in France. That just came out today in France as well. Yeah, this is and, and basically Dr. Carey even said better get surgery now before you can't. So yeah. I bit the bullet, but just to share with everyone. And as far as Dr. Frank, Dr. Henry, sorry, you had stated in regards to the cycle threshold, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there is only a standard if you're vaccinated. No one could tell me what the cycle threshold was of their test. So what is the standard across the country? Does it differ from hospital state to state? Yes. And, and, and yet with the vaccinated, the cycle threshold is, is 28 yeah, the cycle threshold with the vaccinated is 28 for those samples that are sent in. And for everyone else, according to the FDA and CDC, the cycle threshold is set at 40 or less. So if you're less than 40 and you get the signal, then that's when then it's deemed positive. But we have we do have uh, uh, emails from certain labs and certain states 
where the cycle threshold has been as high as 45 and high as 42.7. What they've been doing with cycle threshold at the lab level is manipulating at what point they want the, um, the cycle threshold to be so that they can claim that the vaccine is working. So if you remember, the World Health Organization came out early saying, yeah, uh, I guess cycle threshold was probably too high. There was probably a few too many false positives, blah, 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 recommending a lower one, right? That was their signal globally for labs to start lowering it quietly to like 37, 36, 35, things like that. And then what they can do, and this was in the uh, Biden administration's um, onboarding um, uh, before, they, before they seized power, and that was they said they want to they look at public health like a volume knob and they want to be able to turn it up and turn it down as they want. Well, all you need is a tool like PCR and to tell people that they don't have access to their cycle threshold value. Uh, we have several senators we've been working with who have issued FOIA requests to get the cycle threshold values uh, for all positive cases, which do exist. And the FDA is very clear that the labs have to maintain them. Those senators have been denied access to those cycle thresholds so that we could evaluate them. So the only two states that we know of where cycle thresholds have been um, established uh, at, in terms of there is some data that we can maybe analyze is Florida and Ohio. Uh, and Rhode Island did something earlier. They got a leak and, and did a little bit of analysis on one too. But this is the, this is the problem right now, Miriam, is that a patient can't do something is get their own private health information to know what 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 cycle threshold did I test at? You know, what when did the signal become positive? And yeah. it's the that little bit of information, they you keep that out. You keep out the number of samples that are being tested. Right. It's this little bit of omission, little bit of omission, little bit of omission here that prevents people like us from analyzing this at the level that it should be analyzed to tell people the truth. And imagine you get a false negative. Oopsie, you've been bleeding uh, endlessly. You've got to now retard your, your surgery for another 21 days uh, while you go in quarantine. The fact that no one could tell me, you're a doctor, you can't tell me the cycle threshold is disgusting. These look like, uh, this is from Italy, this uh, tool for nostril rape. It looks like a pipe cleaner. Uh, I don't know why we have to import stuff from Italy. Um, I, I also just wanted to ask the group, were you, were you surprised when the mainstream media started revealing to people that vaccinated are shedding? I mean, they quietly kind of said that, at least on NBC News, Lester said it a couple of days ago. What did he mean by shedding? Did he qualify that with a definition? Well, he, he referenced uh, Fauci's uh, nose titers and basically said that they're infectious. Um, which we knew this doesn't help you, doesn't help stop the spread of infection. But the fact that they said, no, they just said vaccinated people are shedding. Right. And that yeah. comes directly from Johns Hopkins University. That was the intention of it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying I'm surprised that they've told people. And now people, oh, you've been fully jabbed, still got to wear your face diaper, still uh, can get infected. It's like, what was the point? How is this going to increase um, people wanting to get a jab? I, I know Dr. Malone has to, has to go soon. One question okay. that we, yeah. we actually uh, talked about on, because we, we went into a lot of technical stuff, and I think we did the similar thing here. Uh, but I, one question I kept getting is, People were a little 
they, they said we weren't really cut and dry on our opinions on the vaccine in regards to if there was any, because I think I asked you at the end of the show, is there any age, and I'll, and I'll throw this out to you and everybody else, is there any age where you think the risk ratio, uh, you know, just analyzing it, that it's worth getting a COVID vaccine, Dr. Malone? So my position on this is fluid right now. It's changing in in the cohort birth through 30, 35. The data are pretty clearly upside down. The risk benefit ratio is is not favorable for a vaccination just on the risks that we know. So there's that. The vaccination of those that are at high risk and that's open-ended. So if we're going to get criticized, we can say, well, what is high risk? There are tools, actually apps, that are able to evaluate your risk. And I've suggested this. One of the things I was suggesting over the weekend is those become available so that people can just download them on their phones and make their own assessment of what the risk risk values are. Um, so there's uh, the elderly, obese, uh, cardiac disease, some immunodeficiency, vascular leak syndrome. There's a bunch of, there's a cluster of diseases that are higher risk for uh, COVID disease and death. Those people probably still merit vaccination as a targeted group. And by the way, for the most part, there are about 87, 85% uptake of vaccine already into those groups. So we've kind of already hit the, the, the target there. I'm increasingly compelled by Gert Vandenbosch that we really should not be vaccinating beyond that cohort of high-risk individuals. Have I answered your question? Can I can I expand on that question and ask how we can even tell any of that without long-term data? What do you mean, any of that? Any, any of that that analysis without knowing this, like it's only been going for six months. I mean, how can we even do that analysis without knowing what's going to happen a year or two, five years down the road? I think because we know in, we know in the elderly that their risk of death is significant and the older you get, it goes exponential. Yeah. And there is, there appears to be fairly compelling epidemiologic evidence in those targeted groups that there can be benefit because their risk is so high. So even the risk of vaccine is unknown. Um, it still seems that the risk of death and disease is so high that it is likely to counterbalance that. For the rest of the cohort, I think that, that as I said, up to about 35, you're pretty much upside down. There's no justification at all, in my opinion. I get these calls all the time of, you know, what do I do about my son who has this inflammatory condition, who's 16 or whatever, and whether or not they are in higher risk cohorts. Yeah. You know that the uh, nature, the evaluation was that virtually all of the child death, that being up to the age of 18, about 400, a little less than 400 in the United States, mm-hmm. they're all attributable to pre-existing conditions. Yep. So. So you're, 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 it's a fair comment that we don't have good safety data. This is the problem with all outbreaks is you're faced as a person that's in this space, working public health or whatever. You never have enough data. You've got you to gotta kind of make some reasonable guesses about interventions. 
But I think that the the logic of universal vaccination at this point is no longer sound. Full stop. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, just uh, can I, Joel? Can can I? I'm going to have to run real quick. Can I? Can I just jump in real quick? Um, so two things: the CDC data that we analyzed through July 9th on both the infective side and and the um, vaccine adverse events reporting data and everything showed exactly what Dr. Malone is saying. There's, it is, it's absolutely 50 and older is only where the potential gain of benefit exceeds the potential risk of injury. So it's in those groups right there. But I think we also have to keep in mind that over 95% of all death certificates reported by the CDC associated with COVID had on average 4.0 pre-existing conditions, major conditions. So we're talking about the people who are dying at the highest risk are not only advanced age, but are also people with significant health challenges to begin with. And it's something that we have to keep in front of people because that puts more emphasis on prevention, number one, right? Vitamin D, everything that Dr. Frank was talking about. And it puts more emphasis on why isn't ivermectin approved, something that I think the Wall Street Journal finally just had the nuts to publish an opinion piece yesterday or today or something on. It's crucial to us that we maintain wherever there's risk that there has to be freedom of choice. I mean, it's just, it's as simple as that because there's so many unknowns, especially in the long term, as Miriam as, as was, was talking about with her situation and Dr. Medeas is, is so eloquently put. But I think one of the things that we have to get into, and I would love to talk a little bit more at length, Ricky, at another time about this, is the role of cellular autophagy. And I know some people pronounce it autophagy. I don't. So don't ream me for that. But autophagy. By inducing a fasting state, it allows the cell to get into a sense of self-healing and, and balance. And it's one of the most indicated therapeutic interventions that is the least used right now. And we've seen it clinically be absolutely incredible. We took a person who was crashing in a post-inoculation and put him on zero calories. So he went into a fasting state. He went from crashing and burning on Friday to by Tuesday recovered and able to walk around. His entire nervous system was crashing. He was falling down in the hallways, things like that. He could not. And he was, of course, in that high risk group, 65 and older. But with fasting and with some choice specific nutrients, the liposomal glutathione, the L-arginines, and things like that, which do not take the person out of autophagy, we were able to, because of an early intervention on the injury, completely reverse the injury. And now we are three weeks out and he is looking fantastic. And it's something that we have to get out. We did 72-hour water fasting, 72 hours consecutive water fasting. So you, you optimize autophagy between the 54-hour and the 66-hour mark. Uh, when you take that approach. Okay. So I just think it's something we have to get out and talk more about because people don't understand how amazing their bodies are. Our bodies are already designed to handle even this man-made catastrophe. That's what's so impressive about this. If we just simply do the simple things, keep ourselves very, very nutrient dense and give ourselves times every day where we are hungry. I cannot emphasize to everybody right now the importance of being hungry every single day for at least a few hours. Because when you're hungry, that's your body telling you that you are in autophagy. So that's what I had to say. I got to run everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Malone. It's an honor.
uh, to talk with you, sir, and, and to be on this with you. Ricky, thank you so much for making this happen. Everybody else, let's keep on keeping on, baby. We're going to win. All right. We just got to remember that every single day we wake up, we're going to win. We're on the right side of this. All right. Much love, everybody. Peace. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Thank you, Dr. Yui. He, so I'm, I'm going to bail out too, because my wife is getting really uncomfortable, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay. Can, can you tell, good to meet all of you. Can, can you let everybody know uh, what social media? Well, I think we lost them. I'll, I'll put in the show description. No, I'm, I'm still here. It's, yeah. it's all, it's, uh, these days I've kind of dropped my LinkedIn is still active, but at RW Malone MD uh, is the Twitter handle. And it's the one, I guess it's about 180,000. There's some others that are shadows. There's also a, uh, a cool meeting, a COVID summit going to happen in Rome in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to be out on Silicon Valley next week in California, giving a talk. Awesome. Um, good to see you all. Thank you, Dr. Merle. Really appreciate the time. Take care. Thank you, Ricky. Awesome. I, uh, I pulled it off. I didn't think I was going to, but I pulled it off. <laughs> well, nice we good job. Yeah, he, good job, Ricky. Thank you. This, this, uh, the opportunity to just have this platform to connect people and, and, kind of network with so many i mean throughout the whole journey of the ripple effect podcast i've gotten to meet so many awesome people i've had great conversations with everybody on this uh this call so to be able to kind of bring i always say i'm like a cool person collector it's like oh let me take this cool person take that cool person let's put them together <laughs> get a group of cool people so uh anything else you guys want to expand on that you guys want to talk about i mean we still have so many great minds on here uh from health experts to uh doctors that have been really analyzing this anybody i know i, I yeah, go ahead, Charlie. Can I just jump in and and say that when Ricky was planning this show last week, my dumbass immediately went to spies like us and doctor, 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 because he had like seven or eight of you all planned out, and I thought this is going to be so phenomenal to to get, uh, you know, because we started this show as the union of the unwanted. We were talking about media censorship. And we come full circle. Now we have media medical censorship as well. And, and to have a bunch of the doctors on that have been persecuted and demonized and chased around by the mainstream media, it, once again, proving the need for this, for this show to get everybody together. And here we are talking about some stupid form of censorship. Once again, the government and the media conspiring to create narratives and it's really frustrating. So thank you all to the doctors that have come on um, to educate us because it's just tough to find. It's, it's tough to figure out where to go for information. You just don't know. You don't know who's, who's controlled by whom and who's getting money from big pharma. And it's frustrating to, to know that. So we trust you. We, we know you, you've all, you've been on our shows in some form or fashion. It's just nice to have some objective, opinions from people that we know aren't bought off so and sometimes when when doctors talk it, it it will go over people's heads i mean i've had people tell me like oh that was information overloaded with that episode so to have other people who also can understand what they're saying and then expand on it in a way that maybe i can't or somebody who's not in that field can uh, i think it's helpful and for people to actually see like hey this isn't just one doctor this isn't just two doctors there's a lot of people who are having the same doubts, having the same thoughts. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, a, a 
small minority. It's actually uh, the majority, I think, of people. If they, if you give them the information, they can look at it and say, "Hey, this actually makes more sense than what the TV is telling me. What they're saying seems, you know, more relevant and and more accurate to." to compared to what I'm seeing than what the TV is telling me, the illusion that the TV is uh, is creating. I know uh, uh, two hands are up. You guys want to jump in? You guys want to? Yeah. yeah, yeah go I got to bounce too. But the, 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 you, you asked a really important question earlier for the listeners, which was people are wanting to know, should I get vaccinated or not? Right. That, and what is our opinions? Well, I want to share my opinion. My opinion is, is that we have this thing called evolution. It's been going on for a long time. Viruses and bacteria are always mutating. And if we look pre-COVID, you know, the health of America, as an example, um, was in the toilet. Americans are sicker than we have ever been as a species in the history of our species. Okay, so that mixed with the current medical system where we spend $3.3 trillion every year and we're the sickest we've ever been, why would we keep doing that? Right. And then when you talk to somebody like Dr. Shiva Ayaduri, who's one of the top immune system experts in the world, like he's he's written, he's has written the, the whole he's done a lecture at the Sciences University or whatever it was called, uh, National Sciences Foundation of the modern immune system down to the molecule. I'd put him up against anybody in a debate, open discussion. And, you know, he's saying that only 10 percent of pharmaceutical drugs work. Right. Or 10 percent of people benefit from pharmaceutical drugs. But the other 90% are going to, it's not going to work and it's going to create side effects. And some of those side effects are, you know, the worst would be death. You know, maybe some of them are even worse because you're alive, but you're, you know, maimed or something like you're just not feeling good. And then I just, thanks to uh, Scott and the guys over and the gals over at Truzilla, I actually got to meet Dr. Paul Thomas, who's a pediatrician that published a paper showing that all his kids that weren't vaccinated, basically you're pretty darn healthy and they have 10,000 clients and they have only three nurse pack practitioners serving 10,000 kids. Whereas like it's, it's usually like 2000 kids in a practice and there's like five to six doctors servicing all of them because they're all sick. His, his kids aren't sick and he just does informed consent. So, uh, you know, from a fifth grade level and from a rednecks perspective for the people listening, that are like me that can't understand all the, you know, this stuff that's like, I, I, you know, you start talking RMNA and shake, it's like, wah, wah, wah. It's like, you know, Snoopy, <laughs> you don't understand people, you lose people. Right. Yeah. So the bottom line is, is like, we were fat, sick and nearly dead before COVID. So what's the solution? The solution is, you know, we have poor, poor infrastructure, right? We need, we need clean water, clean food. Inner cities need healthy foods, sprouts. We need to get detoxify the gut. We got to clean up the, the blood intracellularly, the fat or the, not the fat, but the, the, the toxic heavy metals and the pollution and the, and the radiation that we're exposed to. And then we just need to boost the immune system. Where's the talk on, hey, let's lose some weight and boost the immune system, so we're not getting that. The system's broke. We need a new system. And again, I'm going to come back to the movement because it always comes back. We have all these problems. You don't like election fraud. You don't like the medical censorship. You don't like personal censorship. You don't like your business being, your podcast being censorship. What's the solution? Working class people uniting in a movement, striking, saying no. That's it. That's the answer. And we all have to, I mean, who, who is not going to agree with that? We already, we've proven it in history through the women's labor movement. I just, I get upset about this, but it's, it's like we have the solution and we're moving forward at truthfreedomandhealth.com. So I just, I sent you guys all a message. I want everybody to get rocking and rolling and serious about this and join. We need leaders and everybody on here is a freaking leader. And there's a lot of people listening that are leaders or can chime in or chip in at some level and help and get this done. So we don't have to have these discussions and we can, you know, you know, 
start laughing at Sam more and relaxing with their family. You know what? That's the yeah. people want the easy fix. And to them, the easy fix is a shot or a medicine. Because I have so many people who I worked with that had COVID. We kept them out of the hospital. We used everything natural. And yet the ones that had it worse were the overweight individuals. Now they want to get the jab because they're so anxious about Delta, about this. They watch all the crazy news. Instead of getting healthy and eating right and losing weight and exercising, they rather go take this. So like there's, I think it's insane because then you are dealing with people who have autoimmune issues and they're now getting high blood pressure. They're losing hair. They're getting permanent vertigo, dizziness, um, and other issues from the shot. But the fear gave them such anxiety, the fear of the news and what information, and they are not taking the steps to live healthy. So I agree with you 100%. And I don't like, I think that the last question that was asked about what is the subset of people that you would recommend the shot to the elderly and the ones that are overweight. I mean, why don't we like it change the infrastructure and instead say, let's get healthy. And where is the data to say that that subset of individuals are going to benefit from this experiment? Can I chime in here for a second? I, I don't agree that anybody should get this shot ever. Uh, I agree. There is I'm nothing. With you on that one. We have no data. We do not have the data to give us any kind of information about risk versus reward beyond the safety signal, which has already been exceeded by hundreds, if not thousands of times. I mean, if that isn't enough, knowing that we don't have all of the data and we've already exceeded the safety signal, the number of deaths which should have stopped this by hundreds of thousands of times, and that's still coming across to somebody like Dr. Malone is being a safe, uh, their safe vaccine gene therapy. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why he and others still push this for anybody having that kind of a safety signal and also not knowing the mid or long-term effects because we don't. We have no idea. We're starting to see pancytopenias in the hospital. We're seeing cases of AML. We're seeing cases of de novo type 1 diabetes in the vaccinated. There are multiple mechanisms which could explain this. Um, and we just don't know. So to say that it's safe for anybody, I, I, I don't well, agree with I, that. I, I agree with you because the, the truth is, you know, talking about ivermectin, talking about hydroxychloroquine, mm -hmm. talking about all these things that we know are actually safe. And Graham was talking about long-term studies. He's kind of right. Like, how do you recommend something to anybody that you don't have any long-term studies about? Like, I, I got his question. Like, you can't, right. how can you suggest, hey, take this. It's safe. Well, how do you know it's safe? Uh, because of our long-term study, doesn't it? Doesn't they don't exist? Yeah. We, 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 we know more about the lack of vitamin D of, of all the people. And we know more about the way. I mean, what, why not start right. there? And so, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I'm curious if somebody like Dr. Malone has so much attention on him that he... He's afraid to speak out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to jump to any conclusions and he wants to kind of tiptoe that line. I mean, I give him a lot of uh, just 
you know, a respect for his courage to be as outspoken as he is. But uh, I I agree with you guys 100%. I mean, I had that conversation with him when he was on my show and he didn't quite answer the question or, and and I had a lot of people ask me like, well, he didn't really say you shouldn't get the vet. And I'm like, okay, well then we need to, I'm like, I don't want people to get that interpretation either because I, I want people to get all the information as always and then come up with your own conclusion. But the truth is there's very little to no information that the vaccine has any benefits you know long term or short term and and there are some evidence that people are getting sick people are having weird reactions to it people are 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 around other people who aren't vaccinated and giving them weird health issues so it's that's right there's a a treatment that's it yeah, and, and it's experimental. That's the other thing. It's not FDA approved. Yeah. It is experimental. What's not experimental is food and your immune system being strong, like Tim keeps harping on. I mean, it's so important for us. There is no better medicine than yeah. or better way to fight something than, than your, your God-given body. Yeah, exactly. And treating I mean, it right. But don't forget, <laughs> he's been he's been in that industry for decades. So, exactly. I mean, of course, of course, he's going to be there. He, that's his paradigm. I mean, it's like drugs help people, right? I mean, this is what this is what somebody in that industry would think for for decades. Graham, have you been to Hawaii? You look really tan. Me? No, Graham. Oh, I wish. He's, he's got the light on. He looks like I'm, a big I'm heart. hot. I'm hot here. It's, I'm sweating. Look, it actually looks like you're trying to tan. It looks like you're. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to give a minority viewpoint, and uh, as someone who's 81 years old and got the vaccine, I did take the, right? did take the vaccine uh, early on. And I think the cutoff, the age that I would say the data supports is people over 70 definitely have a good benefit to risk ratio uh, and other people who may have serious uh, illnesses, et cetera. I think, uh, uh, you know, I I think we should forget the fact that a lot of people have died from COVID. They were almost entirely statistically people over 70, okay? And even those people had most, for the most part, had serious comorbidities. So I, I don't think, I'm not ready to say, you know, no vaccine for anyone. Uh, I agree with people that we don't know the short and long-term uh, health effects of the vaccines. And I write several articles a month. I'm very anti-vaccine right now. I have a, a vaccine regret as Dr. Zelenko likes to talk about. Um, I'm not sure I would do it again today, but I did my shots in back in January, I think February. Uh, I probably wouldn't do them today because I've seen the research on the serious uh, ill effects of taking the vaccine, okay? But most of the public cannot see all that science. And if they saw it, they wouldn't understand it. You know, the one thing I want to emphasize is we no longer, the public can no longer trust the public health system, local, state, and federal public health. And that's a a serious side effect of the pandemic is that the public has lost trust in institutions, in public health, in the media, in science, (laughs) and, and We don't easily overcome now this loss of public trust in basic institutions in our society. Yeah. Oops. 
I was going to say, how is anyone vaccinated or not okay with these mandates? I just got to notice in the Bay Area, I have to start doing Pilates again, vaccinated or not in a face diaper. I mean, this is, it's like just so horrible. I don't know how it is where you guys are, but they love their masks here in San Francisco. Now, yeah, in New York, too. Hey, Ricky, I would be curious to know what everybody's thoughts are for the vaccinated individuals. And then when the flu season comes around and they get exposed to it, because there's all this um, conversation that they're not going to fare well. What flu? Well, you know, or the next corona or anything, you know, like if they really get exposed to sickness because their body is so screwed up. I think they're not going to fare well at all. I think you're going to see a lot of cases of of severe pneumonia and where people won't be able to recover because their immune system is going to be so amped up, so specific to fight off this spike protein that the T-cell immunity is going to be suppressed. So a common garden variety cold or, you know, common garden variety coronavirus is just going to come in there and it's going to take them over like a Trojan horse. And Dr. Tenpenny talks a lot about this, you know, and she's saying, you know, wait, wait till this winter, wait till we, we see what's going to happen with people. I mean, the thing with the vaccine that I wanted to talk about is, you know, when you look at the absolute versus the relative risk reduction, you know, when they, they tout that this vaccine, you know, the Pfizer, the Moderna is 95%, you know, relative risk reduction. When you, that's a, a great way of just kind of inflating the statistics. But when you really look at the research, and I, when I, whenever I hear this, I always go right to the paper and start reading it. And when you really look at the data, the absolute risk reduction measures of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine are like 0.7% effective, 1.1% effective. That means that you have to do 22,000 jabs and 154 people will avoid hospitalization. That's like, that's 0.7% reduction in people with severe symptoms. So I don't know how well, how effective this vaccine really is in the long term. And then to speak to people that are in an older age demographic, you know, there's still a 95, 94% recovery rate for that age demographic, you know, and as we get younger, you know, there's a 99.9%. So, you know, and that's the data that's coming out there. And when you look at that, it's like, you know, risk versus reward type of situation here. You know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't look good, you know? That's just how I'm, I'm looking at the statistics and they're, they're skewing the statistics in their favor so that people are, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's that's not, what they do to uphold their programs. It's yeah, like absolutely. Known thing. Well, let's, let's give the people some hope out there. So if, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're, you know, diagnosed, you, you have COVID or you have pneumonia, you have the, I mean, even before COVID, like if, if, if our clients got, pneumonia, they got colds, or they got the flu, high dose vitamin C IV. We've been pushing that for a long time. It's very inexpensive. It's anybody can administer it. It's pretty, at any hospital, there's, there's IV clinics that are mobile that can come to you. Um, it's just a good thing to do once in a while for a boost, right? Um, you're around people that are sick. You don't want to get sick, get a, get a vitamin C IV. So luckily for us, um, even though you can't trust the mainstream media, I have an article here that I posted from the Los Angeles Times, which is our mainstream media, part of it. This was May 3rd of 2020. Maybe some of you guys know this, but in Seattle, here's the title. 
doctor with coronavirus saved with experimental treatment. Okay, so here's this Dr. Ryan Pageant, an MD up in Seattle treating these elderly COVID patients. And he was a uh, six foot three, 250 pound uh, former uh, football player at Northwestern University. And he said, to worry about, you know, COVID, me myself being a 44 year old healthy man didn't even cross my mind as he was interviewed. So what ended up happening? He gets admitted to his own hospital for fever and cough and difficulty breathing. He was placed on a ventilator really stupid thing to do when your lungs are filled with fluid. Um, five days after that, his lungs and kidneys were failing and his heart was in trouble and they figured he had a day or so to live. So what they did was, is they gave him an immunosuppressant drug and what? High dose vitamin C IV. It's right in the article here. It says supplemented by high dose vitamin C IV and other therapies and the level of oxygen and pageant's blood improved dramatically. And they, in March 23rd, they were able to take him off, uh, off life support. Boom. There it is, mainstream media, high-dose vitamin C IV. So you guys mentioned earlier, Doc, where you said, you know, 150,000 international units of, you know, vitamin A. And everybody's like, oh, oh, my God. It's like it's, it freaks people out. It's like yeah, I grew up for like four to five days, you know. And yeah, a lot it's just of a, time, yeah, it's yeah. short, short. I mean, short I, I last, I, yeah. I grow sprouts and I, you know, I, I teach people, I grew sprouts for a long time and was sending them out to like 40, 50 cancer patients a week. And people are like in the beginning, like, oh, these sprouts and they just eat two or three of them. I'm like, no, eat a freaking pile yeah. of these things. This is the best medicine you can put in your body, right? I so, mean, yeah. You know, when you look at vitamin A, I mean, they use a synthetic version called Accutane with acne patients. And it's like, you know, it's, it's extremely high synthetic form of vitamin A. And they use it with these ac kids with acne for months and months on end. So when we're worried about natural vitamin A being toxic and things like that, it's crazy. So yeah, high doses of vitamin A. Dr. Shiva actually has a let. You can type this into your browser. It says Dr. Shiva letter to President Trump PDF. I saw it. Yeah, and you can look it up. And he he says four hundred thousand international units of vitamin A palmitate for two days. Yep. with fifty thousand international units of vitamin D for two days. Yep. Then, you know, based on the other protocols, there's a little vitamin C. If you're immunocompromised and you're critical care, vitamin C IV, 100 grams a day till yep. well. It's all in there. Like All this, my protocols are based this. upon how I would treat my patients with flu and colds and viruses. That's yeah. where I came up with the protocol because I've been using it for 20 years in practice. Just, you know, doing it at first sign of a cold or flu. This is what you do. So I just carried that same treatment on to treating this virus. There's no difference. Um, and that's, and it worked. So it's, it's on the news 24 seven. That's the only difference. Yeah, exactly. So crazy times. Yeah. So, so anybody have any, any last, uh, questions or comments or anything they want to hit on that you think is really important in regards to this topic that maybe we didn't, we didn't talk about yet. Uh, well, one of the things I was going to say real quick too, is like, man, I had a list of questions for both, uh, Dr. Ely and, uh, Dr. Willow, but that's all right. It would have gone into a whole bug rabbit hole but i just want to encourage people too like uh dr ely has a really powerful message i don't know ricky he's been on your show uh he's been on our show as well um but the whole idea of the willful misconduct piece of this you know how they have the vaccine manufacturers have liability protection but his argument is that you know if unless it can be proven that there's willful misconduct on behalf of these pharmaceutical companies you know cutting corners and all this stuff and so i just really want to encourage people to look into that uh because you know it gives me a little hope maybe there's like a trojan or excuse me like an achilles heel that we can maybe attack this. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I would definitely encourage you guys to check out uh, Ricky's interview with Dr. Ely and then ours that just was last week. It's, 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 it's powerful stuff.
Yeah, he's awesome because he's so positive while talking about such negative things that it, it's just he's awesome to talk to because it's like, you know, when, when you're down these rabbit holes, it can get kind of dark and and whatnot. So it's, uh, you know, it's nice to have somebody who's always optimistic and smiling and and um, that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, so anybody else, anybody else have any last comments, any anything they want to hit on that maybe we didn't hit on that you guys want to? I have a I have a quick question or comment or something to that effect. Sure, Jeffrey. Hey, how's everybody doing? What's up, Greg? What's up, uh, Charlie? Everyone who's on here. I just had uh, just quickly. You guys have probably already touched on this. In, in the alternative media world, when people start talking about this, they bring up the term eugenics that this is some soft kill, slow kill weapon to sterilize and depopulate. Does anybody have any? Is, is that nonsense? What does anybody think about that assertion that this vax is a long-term eugenic kind of operation? That's like a whole nother episode. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that, and we've got to wrap it because. Okay. But that that yeah, that's we're that's almost out of time on 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 our technical end here, so we have to wrap up the show. Um, let's. No worries. Plugs in, Jeffrey. I want to talk to you all about that. I want to do like a whole episode with you on that. So let's talk off air. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, well, while we are wrapping up, let's give everybody the opportunity to to let the listeners know who you are, where they can connect with you, what platforms you're on, uh, websites, YouTube channels, anything like that. Uh, anybody want to go first? Maybe we'll let Dr. Jessica Rose because she's the one who needs sleep the most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So. Um... I guess the best uh, way for you to see what I do and who I am is to go to my my website that I designed uh, so that people can can see uh, visually the VARES updates per week. Uh, it's HTTPS uh, I slash do slash not slash consent dot netlify dot app. Um, I'm sure that we can put a little like do 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 like underneath. Uh, so people can remember that. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm a Canadian, but I'm living in Israel, and, uh, and I'm a, I guess I'm a viral immunologist uh, of sorts with math and other backgrounds, and I came to Israel to do my PhD, and I just kind of stayed. Um, but what I really love to do is surf, so that, that's who I am. And thanks, Ricky. I'm really glad to see you again. <laughs> we have to do this again with uh, with the other uh, uh, podcast. It'll yeah. Be fun. And we'll go off the rails like we usually do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. It makes people smile. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Aida, Tim, Scott, Graham. Yeah, Let's I'm good. Uh, you can go to my website, drada.com. Um, all my information's up there. I have a, an ebook that I put out a couple months back. I highlighted it on, on Ricky's podcast. It's called Taking Back Your Health, appropriately uh, <laughs> appropriate name, uh, Taking Back Your Health Through Individualized Wellness-Based Naturopathic Medicine. So I'm a naturopathic physician, and I practice in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. Cool. I'll go next. Tim James, uh, founder of chemicalfreebody.com. Um, I look at myself as like a general contractor of health. I can kind of bridge the gap between the physicians and 
the, the, the patients seeing them because I can talk in fifth grade level. So <laughs> I get the redneck approach, right, Ricky? And um, we have, we have uh, Dr. Scott Treadway on staff and he, uh, we produce 100% pure natural um, detox and nutrition products. So just people can get those products at chemicalfreebody.com. We also have coaching and a group community. And um, Dr. Aid, I'd love to get your contact information and put you on our database so we can absolutely. refer people in your area to yeah, you because we're always looking for people that are doing personalized precision medicine. Yeah, you know, it's not I one do. size fits all. And sometimes they need to, you know, I help people get their team, help them get their doc, get their yeah. colon hydrotherapist, their massage therapist, whatever they need. Um, we, we, you know, we put that together, help them put that together, that get their, their, um, you know, health, health squad put together. Cool. Graham, Scott, plug away. All right. All right. I'll go. I'm from Canada too. Um, Grimerica show and Grimerica outlawed is our premium feed. And also Darren, our, uh, my first nations Indian co-host just came out with a book called the Canadian, Canadian shame. So check that book out. It's on India, the Indian Act and the residential schools. So that's uh, that's pretty good. So yeah, check us out. Thanks, Ricky. And it's great to see everybody and meet you. It's fantastic. Thanks, Graham. Scott? You got to plug your retreats you do with, uh, with Randall Carlson, man. I definitely want to attend one of those. Yeah, check out uh, Contact at the Cabin as well. Contactatthecabin.com. There's uh, retreats with Randall Carlson. We have one coming up, Magic on the Mountain as well. So... Check those out. I've seen that film, Magic on the Mountain. Yeah. Kidding. <laughs> awesome. All right on, guys. Uh, well, my name's Scott. I am one of the three heads of the three-headed monster known as Truthzilla at the Truthzilla podcast. Uh, Ed and Megan were, they got kids tonight, so they weren't able to hop on. So I came down to the park. Uh, anyway, so we are at Truthzilla.org. You can find links to all the shows. Um, it's funny. We just had our Manifest Freedom Festival this last weekend. Um, it was a super huge success. We had a bunch of speakers and... Uh, music and tim was there so i got to meet tim in real life and of course now we wore the same shirt to this show which is hilarious <laughs> which is crazy for child rescue uh, craig sawyer baby yeah exactly better for child rescue but it's just crazy so uh anyway you guys just uh check out Truezilla and uh ricky thank you so much ricky charlie you guys we really uh love and appreciate all that you're doing thank you and then jeff sorry i, I muted you because uh you're getting some background noise but feel free to jump been and uh, and plug away, my friend. I am sorry, I'm I'm in my car. Um, um, thank you for doing this as always. I know I'm not here nearly as much as I'd love to be, but Conspiracy Farm, I co-hosted rather infrequently with uh, UFC champion Hall of Famer Pat Militich, who had a great time doing it. Um, I, again, I would love to do it a little bit more, but just scheduling conflicts. Again, what's up, Ricky? What's up, Charlie? What's up, Tim? Everybody whom I'm, I'm frequent or I'm friends with. It's so awesome you guys are here, and I'm so glad that the tribes can get together to do this. But the conspiracyfarm.com, and in order to kind of evade the algorithm, uh, we kind of created a network, that podcast network. You can also find the Conspiracy Farm under that auspice on Spotify, um, YouTube, iTunes, etc. But much love to all you guys, and stay safe, and uh, keep, keep up the good fight. Gracias, my friend. Now, who who really? Oh, I think that's just the the host, right? That's right. The union of the unwanted, the co the co-host. I yeah, mean, we're, we're so modern. Find macroaggressions wherever podcasts are served and in video format on Rockfin, Iconic Odyssey, and maybe maybe I'll return to YouTube again. We'll see. Too many strikes. Ripple Effect podcasts, of course. The union of the unwanted. Those are my my babies. Uh, 
with uh, these two brothers with different mothers with, and Sam Tripoli, who was with us earlier. And, uh, and that's it. You can find those everywhere and anywhere. Mike, OBDPod.com. Silly show. Miss- and you're muted. Uh, no, I'm not. I shouldn't. Oh, yeah. There I am. And yeah. silly is a compliment. Yeah. Mike, you've been podcasting since like the 80s. And- yeah, pretty much. Uh, OBDPod.com. I'm just a, I'm not a host. I'm a technical supervisor tonight. That's it. <laughs> yeah, shout out, Mike. Thank you. You too, man. Thank you. Mike, Mike's a man. He's our, he's our tech guy. So, so thank you everybody for joining us. I really appreciate it. I truly believe these conversations and these episodes are special and we're doing big things. We're helping connect people. Uh, I will do my best to gather everybody's information as quickly as possible. So when we share the video episodes and the audio uh, Dropbox links, so you guys can kind of share these conversations where you want, uh, we'll, I'll put everybody's information there so you can connect. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on this show that want to connect after this. And, uh, you know, coming from somebody who's had long conversations with everybody on the show, they're people you want to connect with. They're awesome people and you're going to have a blast talking to them. And hopefully we can keep building this, this uh, community. So thank you so much, everybody from the bottom thank of my heart. I truly appreciate it. Have a great night or morning, Jessica, right? I don't know what time it is there. But- yeah, it's almost five. So I'm going back to sleep for an hour or two. <laughs> thank you so much. And, uh, and we'll hopefully we'll, we'll all stay uh, connected and we'll talk soon again. The union don't want it.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Ricky, great job cooking.